On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we have a veritable avalanche of shows vying for your attention. We are poshing it up with Julian Fellows in the Gilded Age on Sky Atlantic, diving back into a pandemic-riddled dystopia in Station Eleven on Stars Play, hitting the beat in Liverpool with Martin Freeman in The Responder on BBC One, and solving a murder alongside Tiffany Haddish in Apple's comedy The After Party. But that is not all, because The Sinner Season 4 finally lands on Netflix this week. And, in addition, we're joined by not one, but two phenomenal guests this week, Carrie Coon and Stanley Tucci. And we're going to fit all of that in the same space I used to bang on about The Expanse last week. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your televisual butler bringing you silver trays laden with the very best modern streaming has to offer before scurrying back downstairs to prepare next week's batch. And joining me in the scullery are, of course, Pilot TV's Mr. Carson, Boyd Hilton, and our very own Mrs. Patmore, Beth Webb. How are we? Yeah, good. Just trying to, as always, trying to work out if what you're calling me is a good thing or a bad thing. Uh... You're not familiar <laughs> with Mrs. Patmore. No. Honestly. Uh, they're both good. Yeah, very dignified. Two of the most dignified, yeah. um, admirable characters in the whole of Downton. I think, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Uh, well, you're not a Downton fan, Beth. No, no. I am yet to get swept up in it in quite the same giddy manner that you did, James. Um, <sighs> I love a bit of Downton. <laughs> I know you do. I think, uh, yeah. Which is weird, uh, isn't it? We still, I remember the so day, strange. I remember the very well the day when um, the revelation that James is a massive Downton fan <laughs> and being shocked to my very core because it's so kind of off-piste for, for, for you, yeah. isn't it? It's like, you just wouldn't accept, expect it. It blew Terry's it's, mind, yeah. Yeah, just like She understands mind. The Witcher. She understands me going yeah. on about The Expanse and even Bosch. And you, you again, you were a little little perplexed by my love of Bosch. Uh, no, but Bosch Downton is, no, is a bit no, off-brand. No, no, no. uh, Bosch is, is is solid James, you know, crime drama territory. You, you, Downton is like absolutely stands yeah. alone. You yeah, know, it does. There's no it's, murders. It's an outlier. There are mm. very few murders. There's the occasional murder. Um, no spaceships, no world building. It's just no, fucking... It's just who's it, polished the silverware. Yeah. There are a lot of characters, so maybe that's it. And it is almost like a different world. It is almost like world building. You've yeah. got to understand the mythology of wh- which fork you use for which meal and stuff like that. You know, so that's maybe that's, that's, that's tip here. I don't know. Yeah, okay, maybe, maybe. But I, I'm, I'm the same, though. I've been obsessed with Downton since... since uh, not Seb's. I'm very fond of Downton since series one, yeah. even though it's full of cliche stereotypes and predictable storylines. Yeah, yes, yes, we it is. We'll get to that later. <laughs> we will get to that. We will get to that. But do you know what else I've been watching this week? So while we're getting on to the section of what we've been watching, I is sat it down the expanse and I... again. No, I, no, and I and I will say, I will say, I have stopped talking about the expanse now. So all of the people who basically threatened to unsubscribe from the podcast and complained vociferously last week about my twelve-minute uh, thing on the expanse, the twelve-minute expanse, and not to pull the curtain back, I should point out, I talked about the expanse when we talked on the show, and then I remembered some extra bit, and I went back and recorded an extra bit that I inserted into that bit about oh the expanse. Oh my god! <laughs> no, um, no, I the director's fuck? cut. Yeah, I actually. Ex- Expanded my monologue in post-production. Hold on, hold yeah, on. you secretly true. go back and insert extra well, no, stuff not, from not, yourself. I don't make a habit of this. I just your, did it in this one instance. On mm. your favourite show. Believe that. Yeah, I that can't is extraordinary. Normally, I would not do this, this because a- it wouldn't work. But I caught in this case, since neither of you were contributing or listening at that point, I thought, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I can say what I know. What a, what a revelation. This is classic. That's so funny. It remains to be seen whether this bit will make it into the podcast. <laughs> well, it better do. I'm going to listen back. I, the only reason I can't... I, I never listen back. I'm coming to you a pitchforks, man. Yeah. This is dreadful. I'm going to check. I never listen back because I can't bear my own voice, but... 
I must, <laughs> I'm going to double check this time. Now that you're up to these shenanigans, frankly. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, wow. well, yeah. So I had I had a fair few complaints about that. So no, I'm not going to talk about The Expanse and I have not been watching The Expanse this week. But I did decide to give The Tourist another go because, okay. you know, I felt oh. like maybe I was being a bit harsh and maybe, you know, a lot of people have said, you know, it's ridiculous and like, The Tourist, Tourist is great. I still don't think it's like the masterpiece people think it is. But I did enjoy the second episode a lot more than the first. And I don't think it's because it's better. I do think it's because I went in knowing what I was getting. And I, 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 you know, I went in there, I realized what it was. I was expecting the tone and I rolled with it a lot more. And mm. I, and I actually, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm considering, strongly considering watching the rest of them. <laughs> I can't <laughs> promise anything, but wow. I'm strongly considering where, where are you watching the rest episode? of the tourists. I've just Where's watched the first two. I've just watched oh, the first okay. two. Okay. So I, I watched the, the next one. Interesting because, uh, I, we didn't really talk about me finishing the tourist when I did, and I should have done because, and I, I guess I can't really go into why, but it absolutely knocked me for six where it ended up. In I a good like, way or a bad way? As in, should I just bail now is what I'm I asking. I think don't make peace with the tone that it's at at the moment because okay. it all changes again in a, in a very, very imaginative and unexpected way. But don't okay. make peace with, with the tone it's at, at the moment, I wouldn't say. See, I would say yeah. I'd watch the rest of it before next week, but unfortunately, I have been given screeners for an awful lot of very exciting shows recently. So I may my dance card may be quite full, but I am planning to to carry on with it because it, you know it is interesting, and the mystery at least is quite compelling. There was an interesting bit with the scorpion in episode two, for example. Um, but yeah, mm. I'll, I'll I'll have I'll have another go. I'll watch a bit more. Well, I finished it as well, and and um, yeah, I know what I know what uh, I know what you mean, Beth. Yeah, it is it it it. It's, it very skillfully manages to go from one type of mood to another, doesn't it? Like, it can be really fun and over the top at various moments with the characters, with certain characters being almost comic. And then mm. it, will, it, it will pull the rug from under view. And ha- there's, the, the finale has this really quite serious, powerful monologue, doesn't it? Without, I'm not spoiling it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right at the end, yeah. basically, the, the ending. And it's really sh- quite... Really, I found it really powerful and disturbing and interesting. So I think it's one of their. I think it's one of their very best. I mean, masterpiece. You know, I'm not saying it's a masterpiece, but it's really, really, really good. You know yes. why I think also I bought into the tone slightly more is because the quirky tone is is in show, by which I mean the show is not. Yeah that quirky tone. The quirky tone exists within the world of the show because right. it's very much through his eyes and he's an outsider. Mm. And even he's looking at this tone going, what the fuck are these people talking about? What are they doing? Yeah. So he's like my avatar, my grumpy avatar, by yeah, which I can judge their quirky yeah. behaviour. Yeah. And I find that yeah. actually helps the accessibility for me slightly. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. And he's discovering the twists and the the same pace we are, which, and and they the, the, um, the Williams brothers, they're very cleverly Kind of the way it unfolds and the way those twists are revealed is, is really clever. I think I think they're fantastic. They're so they're so clever. Anyway, yes. I hope you finish it. You should finish it. You'll enjoy it. I will. Yeah. I will do my best. What What have you guys been watching? Well, have we all finished Yellow Jackets? Well, yes. That's what I was going to say. That's what we finished. Ooh. Definitely Yellow Jackets. Because I have my finger on the pulse as ever. I used the finale of Yellow Jackets as an excuse to finally write the belated Empire review of Yellow Jackets, <laughs> which comes a mere several months late. <laughs> but nevertheless, it is now up on the website if you want to see what I think of Yellow Jackets. But yes, what did you think of the finale? Oh my goodness. I thought it was magical. It hit every single note that I wanted. I wanted the big homecoming of the the women sort of striding into the reunion all together. Um, kind of looking kind of badass was really great. The 
the I sometimes get frustrated if a if a series ends on more questions than answers. And I think they got the balance of that just right. Um, I thought that was incredible. Um, excellent use of music. I interviewed the creators this week. Also, I have to go out here and say that James really did outdo himself this week by explaining to me how to use Google. That was really great of you. That was really top drawer. Thank you in so what, much. In what context? In what context? In that he was, we, we were talking about it and he was talking about the review and he mentioned in 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 while he was writing the review that he found this really great interview about like female Lord of the Flies. And I was like, I was preparing to to interview them and I thought that would be really great. So I just asked him if he knew what the interview was. Yeah. And he did he was like, no, but if you go to to Google and if you put in the names of the creators, what will happen is these interviews will come out. There's a great one on uh, Collider, if you have it's one on the playlist currently. So if you just go to Google like, Was I like your name going, go on to the Googles, go the on to the Googles and tell it what you want. The double double w dots google.com. Well, 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 google.com. Yeah. So thank you for that. But You're no, welcome. I I spoke to them and I'd read somewhere that um but the, the co-creator had written a letter to Enya to ask explicitly for her permission to use the song in the finale which is used brilliantly and I got him to read me the letter and it's more it's so mortifying he was like bright red reading out all this like very, like how it's so significant to kind of the fabric of the show and re- using these big elaborate words but he was like you know it was only meant for Enya as the audience and he was he was absolutely gutted. how did you convince him to do that <laughs> well to be fair he didn't and Ashley did oh that's amazing <laughs> so while he was like she's like I do have it up here and uh yeah she read out a few lines which was um which was so funny but yeah i um ah oh, that second season man and i guess oh, can we get into spoilers no i don't think we can get no. into spoilers but i think what we can say is like obviously i think it, it ups the ante in yeah. a big way in that final episode it's like the one thing that i find interesting about this like we talked an awful lot about this in relation to lost which which makes a certain amount of sense because it's very similar they're stranded <laughs> there are you know different timelines and there's a mystery at its heart and possibly a hint of supernatural i think what kind of sets this apart that we said is that it felt like we knew where it was going and i think we feel like that because the very first episode teases where this mm. is going to end up but having sort of read interviews with them like they don't like they have a vague idea where it's going i think you know they don't have what i would call a sort of uh, a laid out route like a plan yeah they don't know exactly where it's going um but it's interesting that we get that tease in the first episode but it then slows right down for the whole season and i enjoyed the pace all the way through i actually thought it was really compelling because i think mm. both the timelines work really well but that first episode i went back and rewatched part of it i was like wow i mean it really really starts with a big like promise which we've yet to see fully pay off i think there's a part of me that was hoping we would see more of that before season's end um, but obviously they're saving that for further down the line because it's, it's gonna be a long road to get to that place yeah but yeah i mean how it's, many, it's a hell of a many, pilot how many seasons are they planning <laughs> well go on you answer you've spoken to them they, well they <laughs> thank you they were looking at if you look it up on the google Beth, you look up on the google like, google it if you google how many episodes of yellow jackets yeah. it'll yeah. tell I mean, you I, I, could, I could just google it but, but beth has no, no, interviewed no. them yeah. they uh, they were looking at five but obviously wow. 
they are at the mercy of the of yeah. the um, of showcase. But I mean, if oh, they cancel it, then nuts. I think at this stage, at this showtime. stage, showcase will give them showtime. Showtime, sorry. Showtime will give give them what the fuck they want because it's it's a huge hit and it? it's a huge word yeah. of mouth. Yeah, it was just phenomenon. behind Dexter, wasn't it? And they said yeah. that I think Dexter New Blood being so popular and because they were kind of next to each other, like brought in new audiences to Yellow Jackets yeah. as well. Yeah, I think it's better than Lost. I'm I'm, I'm saying it already. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Partly. I mean, I loved Lost. Don't get me wrong. When it when it started, um, you know, went on set as I always I always go. Went to Hawaii, had a lovely yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> met all the met everyone. But Lost did. Let's face it, Lost. You know, I mean, I'm not going to bang on about the ending again. Lost but its way. It did, and mm. I feel like these these guys have learned the lessons maybe from Lost because mm. I think I think even though you say James that there's lots of stuff promised in that opening. That does, but actually, a remarkable amount of it is kind of resolved to some extent by the end. We're of, definitely on the way there. Yeah, definitely on the way there, and it's certainly there's no frustration. You know, I the, the frustration I felt watching Lost play out season after season after season. When you got to like episodes four, five, and six, was I remember being quite painful. Uh, even before we get to the the actual ending, the, the the finale. Whereas this is 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 delivering, and I think even pace wise, every episode has revelations, doesn't it? And and developments, character mm. developments, and so uh, yeah, I think and I agree. I mean, the music. My favorite bit of the music was Kim Wilde's Cambodia, which I think was back in <laughs> episode two or three. I love that song so much. Yeah. It's not obviously one of Kim Wilde's less famous songs it's not kids in america but it was just such a brilliant deployment of that fantastic song that incredibly atmospheric song yeah. um but yeah it's it's i thought i think the whole series has been incredible and um i know meli linsky is rightly getting loads of she's getting you know she's but i have to say christina ritchie Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Hurled herself into that yeah. demented character. <laughs> She's so, so funny, brilliant, so dark, it's so, so dark, dark and funny and fantastic. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I, I thought it was absolute triumph. Yeah, M- and music-wise, I enjoyed the a cappella "Kiss from a Rose." I thought that was glorious. Oh, yeah, at their doom coming party. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I think the thing with this is like the the problem you had with Lost for so many reasons. First of all, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing with it. Like that's clearly the biggest problem. But my thing with that is I always found the flashbacks in Lost to be irritating. Like, I was interested mm, yeah. in the island. I couldn't yeah, give a time. flying fuck whenever they did the flashback. No. And it really bored me. And then also you would get episodes. You know, they would lend different episodes to different characters, and they give you a boring character, and then the whole episode is just a waste of your time. So I don't care about this character in the present. I don't care about this character in the past. I just don't care about this character make them go away. Um, whereas with this, because it's all of them in the past and it's all of them in the present, each one of those two timelines is driving a narrative mm. and it's moving forward. So you feel like you're always making progress, you're never treading water, which I think was one of Lost's big problems. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the present day timeline of Yellow Jackets ends up being just as kind of eventful mm. and fascinating as mm. the as the considering they've been through this extraordinarily traumatic <laughs> yeah. experience yeah. of yeah. the older timeline it's fantastic the way they managed to make the present day timeline just as extraordinary and my final and I, I mean I could bang on about this we should do a spoiler special but I think the supernatural thing the, is it or is it is it or isn't it yeah. supernatural, is so fantastically well handled super subtle better, it's super yeah. subtle better uh, again than like those, a lot of those Stephen King things because I always I always say my problem with Stephen King adaptations is they always end up being supernatural and and uh, it kind of lo- often loses me when it kind of gets your take a- whereas this one even the even the woman like who's trying to be the what, senator she's running for is it she, mm. yeah. you know 
that where you think she's what the fuck is she doing and what's happening with her kids, which seemed complete had to be supernatural. Actually, without again, we're not trying to spoil it. Th- that even that that you're not quite sure, and there's doubt. Yeah. There's always doubt yeah. about everything. All those elements to it. I think it's so clever how they've danced around that. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah. It is aces, and I love it. Mm. What else have we been watching? Uh, I've been the same as you, and been annoyingly like mainlining shows that are not coming out for a little while um (laughs) which is silly i have i've spent a lot of time there's one of the shows this week that i have not voluntarily spent a lot of time on which we'll get into and then there is one that i voluntarily spent a lot of time on in that i have watched now all but one of the after party which we'll obviously get into later and then i've watched a few episodes of pam and tommy which some details of that show have been leaked already quite like today as we're recording this talking um, penises the voice of uh, Tommy Lee's talking penis uh, has been revealed and I always feel, I feel quite bad that that's been spoiled for people because watching that without any hint of what was coming um, stopped me I mean I'm not like dancing around when I'm watching shows but it was enough to like make me very still and go what the literal fuck am I watching um like a venom type confrontation between Sebastian Stan and his own penis uh is is something that I've never seen and probably will never see again on on television so that's been pretty great um obviously we're doing like a spoiler special on that I think so plenty more thoughts on that to come bearing in mind that his penis is of course voiced by Derek yeah. By Derek from The Good Place, uh, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. Uh, Jason Manzoukas, love it. Yeah. I think we, we'll be reviewing it next week, though, won't we? I think, I'm pretty sure. I believe we will. Uh, we should I be, believe yeah. we will. Yeah. Interestingly, um, that no wonder he, the real Tommy, is likes it, doesn't he? He's, he's endorsed the series, Talking Penis and All, whereas she, Pamela, has not, and she's not happy with it. So no. Yeah, it's fascinating. I can understand mm. why. Yeah. And uh, I think, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but Lily James obviously had some wobbles about this as well, like, yeah. you know, because it's it's a lot to deal with. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I'm interested to see that. I haven't watched an episode of that yet, but I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We'll talk, we will talk about that. Um, I, apart from Euphoria, which I'm still making my way through, and I is that as well. still overwhelmingly, spectacularly sick, twisted, and explicit, and even more full of penises, not talking necessarily, <laughs> but a remarkable array of penises throughout Euphoria. I don't think an episode goes by now without a penis of one kind or another. It's um, got the, a, a, a peen count it has to hit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, clearly has a pin count has to hit. I think it's addressing the historical balance of gender-based nudity on television, so well, it probably has a lot of work to do. A lot of well, fucking work to do with this show alone, to be honest. Yeah, like, I mean, that is, right. Yeah, I mean, 100%. It's, it's, it's losing me, I've got to be honest. I've watched the second episode by the time is we've it? recorded yeah. it. It's, yeah. It is losing me a little bit. Um, okay. I think yeah. it's just lost what it wants to say, and it's... Oh, I agree with that. It's totally not what he wants to say, but it's still incredibly entertaining and um, kind of just just the whole boldness of it is still keeping me. Like I have to keep. I, I'm compulsively watching it, even though I'm not saying it's great. I'm, I think it is yeah. deeply flawed, as you're as you're saying. Um, and Sydney Sweeney, who is absolutely <laughs> phenomenal, leave her alone, maybe they, she's yeah, a wonderful that is painful. But yeah, that they... is painful. Her character, um, Cassie. What yeah. they're doing with that character is really painful. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. it's it's too much. So, but but apart from that, I have been watching. The thing I really need to mention is Archive eighty one. Do you got? Do you know about this? No, Archive eighty one is the latest Netflix arrival, mm. a big Netflix show. 
that has been that they totally neglected to promote in any way whatsoever. Hence, we didn't review it. And I get, I say this every couple of months. There's another Netflix show. This is this is this is a horror drama. Um, it's based on a I think it's based on a podcast. And um, uh, Rebecca Sonnenshine runs uh, uh, developed it. It's about it's a it's like censor. You know the film censor, which is all yeah. about you, you know inspired by the video nasties situation in the eighties. Which I love that film censor because it's kind of about that. It's like censor meets devs. Um, Hi. Yes, uh, two of my favourite things of recent years, and yeah. it's about this guy Dan, played by Mamadou Athi, who who whose job it is basically to restore. Um, videotapes um, that's his thing so he's constantly he's dealing with and he, we see him he's in New York and we see him he's into like you know 80s old 80s videos and TV shows his best mate has his own podcast about kind of the supernatural supernatural stories true life in quotes supernatural stories and basically that Dan is given the job by this mysterious rich guy um, played by Martin Donovan the great Martin Donovan who I, who I love in everything to restore specific tapes that were that were damaged in a big fire and he's part of this mysterious some kind of mysterious company that's impossible to find anything about and the main character is very mysterious and we we find out that his family perished possibly in some kind of fire and maybe the what the thing that his job that he's been given to restore these these tapes is something to do with his own family that he's and trauma that he's been through but and that's the kind. That's the kind of premise. So it's like, it's like, what's going on in these mysterious videotapes of people? Things happening to people in them. It's creepy. It's beautifully filmed. It's it, that the devs element is in that he has to go away to the Catskills mountains to this big, um, mysterious, beautifully designed but very stark um, place where the where where the, where the where the restoration is all happening, and it's all Ooh. it's all kind of grey and weird and minimalist. Um, it's fascinating, and I'm I'm really into it already. Um, yeah, so Archive eighty one. Bring it the fuck on! It's really good. Can't believe it hasn't. It wasn't given more attention. But it is weird. It's kind of weird and um, very gradually paced. But it's fascinating right from the off. Really good. And it's all on there now. It's all on there. Eight eight episodes. Yeah. yeah. It feels exactly like the kind of show that Netflix like to drop, don't they? In the, yeah. It, it's not something they could have maybe drummed up that much excitement about in advance, but it's a really yeah. great thing to just discover on your timeline. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. There's no big yeah. stars in it. You know, it's it's yeah, yeah. But it's it's so far, I'm loving it. I have to say. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Well, now that we have established what we have been watching, uh, I think it's time for our first guest of this week. Now, Stanley Tucci is a man who should need no introduction. Captain America's Dr. Erskine, Fortitude's DCI Morton, he's the Hunger Games of Caesar Flickman, for God's sake, uh, and so many, many, many more. Uh, he's currently appearing every Monday at 9pm as treasure hunter Frank Wilde in La Fortuna on AMC UK, as you heard from us last week. But the Tooch stopped by the show this week to talk to Beth. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. Um, I mean, I'm I'm so interested to hear what drew you to this character who is, I mean, who is described, actually described in the first episode as a pirate, like, as a PG <laughs> version. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's what, that's what drew me to it, is that he's really complicated. And he seems to be one thing, but it turns out to be another thing. 
He's a very complex guy. Um, and those are always great roles to play. And how were you, in terms of the, the themes and the subjects, uh, were you kind of schooled up on your maritime law? Did you have to do any research or reading or training? No, not really. It was really all in the script. Uh, you know, um, I read about the actual e event. And this is sort of extrapolated from that. So this isn't really... You know, uh, 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 you know the, the, what really happened. There, but there was this guy who found all this, you know, this this treasure, and there, you know, it got became a very complicated lawsuit. Um, uh, so I read about that. Um, but really, for me, it was all in the script. And and what is it about Frank that you feel is misunderstood? What are you hoping that people are going to take away from the character? I don't know if there's anything that. That's misunderstood about him. I think we we see at the end that he'll do anything to to keep the money because he really is a pirate. And he starts out. We believe he's an adventurer, an explorer, like Indiana Jones, and but really he isn't. He's kind of a shitty guy. <laughs> so I don't think whatever they take away is. Hopefully that justice was done. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, this is wonderful to see Alejandro, another incredible filmmaker, take to the small screen. What was your relationship like with his work before you came on board with this? Well, he made one of my favorite movies of all time, which was The Sea Inside mm. um, with Javier Bardem quite a few years ago and mm. i just loved it and it was a movie that i could never get out of my mind and then when they told me he was directing this and he sent it to me and i was just thrilled and he is a really 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 wonderful director uh i would in a second work with him again and it's it's a sort of bilingual show as well how important is it that you're lending your kind of status as an actor and, and the other huge cast members in this to a show that does pivot between two languages. How would you say that's important? I love that. I think that's really important. Um, I think it's great. I, I've never, I don't think I've ever done anything that was uh, in two languages like this. Uh, but I thought it was also really, really well done. A lot of times people do it and it doesn't work because they're speaking, maybe they're speaking English when they really, they should be speaking their native language. And but this, I think, handles it uh, br brilliantly. Something I really do enjoy about your small screen career is the variation that we see with you. I mean, we've got this at the moment, this kind of epic. It was only months ago, I feel like, that we saw you as this kind of seeing octogenarian in Central Park. You've got a citadel <laughs> coming up. <laughs> I mean, what what is driving you um, when it comes to small screen projects and the kind of scope that they provide? Diversity. I mean, that's the, that's the wonderful thing about it is all these roles are so diverse, you know, and I've been doing television. I've been doing del television since I started acting, you know, mm. my first television job was an episode of Miami Vice. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've always done television one because, um, that's, that was the work that came to me and, you know, I had to make money. There were a lot of people many years ago who, American actors at any rate, who would say, oh, no, I'm not doing television. I'm only going to do movies and all that stuff. But really, in the end, there were so many interesting things on television. And, of course, you have a, a very broad audience, too. And then everything shifted with when HBO, you know, created themselves. 
that really changed everything. Suddenly they were telling what you were telling stories that you would normally tell in feature form for the small screen. And they were getting substantial actors, name actors mm. to, to be in them and directors to, you know, substantial directors to direct them. That changed the landscape completely. And now, obviously, it's where probably the most wonderful work is. Uh, and, you know, with all of the different streamers and HBO is still around and Showtime and, you know, all the, you know, um, it's really a really exciting time, I think, for actors, writers, directors, everybody. I mean, with that in mind, I do want to draw on animation a little bit because you've been in two incredibly significant kind of chapters in this new frontier of animation, Bojack, and then Central Park as well, which I just have the biggest soft spots for. You know, it's such an incredible cast, incredible songs, lyrics. I mean, in terms of animation, what kind of... Um, uh, how how is that opening up for you as a performer and and based on what you've just said there in terms of the talent it's bringing in the scope that's bringing in as well it's great i love doing animation i've done a lot of animated features uh over the years and it's just just so much fun i mean it's probably the most fun you could have as an actor because you don't have to put on makeup you don't have to get up early you don't have to shoot outside in the rain yeah and cold or at night you know, <laughs> you go to a studio and then you just pretend you're, you know, you do some funny voices or whatever. <laughs> it's like you're a kid. You know, it's like you're a kid just playing. Uh, nobody has to see you. It's it's fantastic. I really love doing it. It's um, I think that the, the, the two projects you mentioned were really, really fun. In fact, I have to go do some Central Park stuff tonight. Uh, and it's great fun to do it. There's another one that I'm doing here in England called Master Moly. And it's, it's based on these books that are, it's, a, 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 they're all moles living underground. And it's very, it's, there's just short little 10, 15 minute little shows, but they're absolutely adorable for, for kids. Uh-huh. And I love that also because I, you know, I have kids and I've always loved doing stuff that, you know, your kids can watch. Cause a lot of stuff I do, you don't ever want your kids to watch. Yeah, of course. How do they feel about seeing your their dad as a as a singing sort of octogenarian millionaire living in a well? No, see, the little ones haven't seen that, but the older ones have, and they get a kick out of it. (laughs) And you'll be warming up your vocal pipes tonight for some. Will you be singing tonight for the for the recording? Oh oh God, I hope not. I hope I'm just talking. And then I guess, yeah, just just moving forward, you've got Citadel. I know we're very, very limited as to what we can say there, but it's so exciting to see the Russos come back to the small screen. I mean, was that the appeal for you going to work with these two, you know, since community having gone off to the MCU and back again? How does that feel? Well, yeah, no, it's cool. Those guys are really cool. I mean, that that's a real and it was Josh uh, Applebaum who uh is producing it, co-writing it, and um, I had done something for uh, it was was it, it was face no it was Instagram wasn't it oh God forgive me uh, <laughs> was doing a, a thing that I did with Josh a few years ago that aired very briefly but unfortunately they decided not to continue it or to continue making uh, that content but it was it was really. This Citadel was really, really interesting. They got some great actors. First of all, Richard Madden, who I think is amazing. Um, and 
although I didn't see, I've spoken to the, to the Russo brothers uh, since we finished filming because they weren't, they weren't there, but obviously they were, you know, they're very much involved in it. And uh, it was, it was great. It was great. Not to mention the fact that it was, you know, I, I was, I could commute from my house. <laughs> always, always a joy. Um, I mean, just to come back to La, La Fortuna, this is, I mean, this is something, even in the realm of television and what we've spoken about, this is something quite new we're seeing here. I mean, what are you hoping that people will take away from this show? Well, first of all, I just think there are so many wonderful actors in it. And I think it's really, I think it's really well written. I think it's complex and odd uh, in, in a way. Um, but it's also very compelling. It's really, it's a really, really interesting story. I've never quite seen a story like 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 this uh and you know the fact that it's a it's a co uh production uh you know spain and america i think that's just a wonderful thing for me Al- alvaro mel and i'm butchering his pronunciation of his name i'm sure but he is such a, a force already to watch um what do you get much screen time with him what can we expect from your relationship well, who you're talking about you're talking about the young man Yes, Alex. No, see, I had almost nothing to do with him, unfortunately. Uh, but boy, what a wonderful uh, actor. Well, Stanley, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you today. And, and thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. Nice talking to you. That was Stanley Tucci. And time now for some news because we don't have time for a listener question this week because because we have like 18,000 TV shows to review. So... <laughs> Let's talk news. Uh, And to my mind, I would say like one of the biggest things I heard this week was a little story about Peaky Blinders, which was reported on the Empire website (laughs) in an interview conducted by someone called James Dyer. Yes, that was it. James Dyer spoke to Stephen Knight. And Stephen Knight told me exclusively that Peaky Blinders will not, as had always been the plan, go between wars, go from World War I to World War II, but it will now bust out of that little pen and it will go beyond the Second World War because we're about to go into the sixth and final series of Peaky Blinders. But after that, there's going to be a movie. There's also like a weird prequel musical on the stage, but less about that, the better. Um, But yeah, there's going to be more Peaky and it's going to go forward past the Second World War. So that's pretty exciting stuff. He sees the TV series as like, it's not all other the sixth season as the end of the beginning of the Peaky story. Brilliant. I'm really happy (laughs) for you with that. Thank you. That's great. (laughs) I'm really happy for you. Wow. Um, No, I did see that. I, I'm excited to read your... Is that out today, uh, The New uh, Empire? It's funny you should say that, boy. Yes, yes the new issue of Empire is yes. on newsstands today. It is very exciting. It has a Godfather on the cover. We've got a Godfather celebration issue. But yes, it does have a big interview where I speak to Stephen Knight and Killian Murphy about all things Peaky, uh, including you know the show and the legacy to date, and of course, the upcoming sixth series, which I think will be with us very soon, though they have not announced the exact date yet. But I think it will be sooner than people might imagine. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. The trailer's good. So I yeah. think we, we, we talked about Speaking yeah. of interviews that were interesting, did anyone read the one with Joss Whedon this week? Oh, <laughs> I was my wondering God. if you were bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. I mean, I yeah. would, James, but his uh, language is very flowery, and me, just a humble Southwest uh, Swindoner, probably would be able to uh, I mean, English isn't your it. first language, Beth, no. so I completely understand why a lot of what he said, the real meaning of it, was lost on you, because let's be forget, he is one of, if not the nicest showrunner. I know that because I learned that from the article, which was, was good as well. He's the nicest showrunner working, so, so that's, uh, that's nice. Yeah. Did we think that my question about that that incredible feature was because I did read every word. It was long, wasn't it as well? Really it, was, it was very long. Epically yeah. long. 
and and I believe the term hashtag self own might be something you might apply to that story. But carry on. Well, that's my question, really. Did we? Did I? I, I varied in my. I kept changing my mind as to whether the writer of that piece was a little bit defending him, actually, kind of bought into his defence of himself at various moments in it. There's one bit I wish... No, I, I, haven't, I haven't got it in front of me, but there's one bit where she basically is quite harsh about some of his accusers, and it's just her writing. It's not, she's not quoting him. She's mm-hmm. giving her opinion about the accusations. And I thought, oh, hold on a minute, because all the way through I was thinking she's giving him enough rope and he's hanging himself yeah. by yeah, coming up with yeah. endless, endless screeds of bullshit. <laughs> but then, then I'm not so sure. So, mm. I mean, that almost could be like credit to her for, I don't know, for something. But equally, I found it weird. I found the whole thing very yeah. odd. I mean, bear in mind, um, the piece is literally called Interview with the Vampire. So it doesn't like feel yeah. like it's that positive from the get-go. But <laughs> no, I do know I what know, you mean. I'm not saying it's positive. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Yeah. 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 I mean, put it this yeah. way. I think the interview, the famous interview that we discussed weeks ago I, in the New Yorker with what's his name from Succession. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that. The snark of that, and I know people were like, "I'm not having a go at the writer," but th- that there was definitely snark in that about him, yeah. you know, wasn't there? Whereas this, I'm not so sure her snark was so obvious, and that may be a, a skill on her part. But anyway, yeah, no, I felt like she she wasn't going out of her way to bury him. Though he does an excellent job of doing that he himself, does. he didn't need he any assistance yeah. to uh, to bury himself there. But hey ho, has it ruined Buffy for you? That's my question. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, no, question. So, so I don't know how you feel about this, Beth, but like I've, I have long sort of in my head separated creator from creation. Like I can enjoy a piece of art. I can enjoy a film. Like so Brian Singer's films, like I, you know, I watched usual suspects, obviously directed by Brian Singer, starring Kevin yeah. Spacey. You know, I don't, I don't have a problem loving that film still. Um, despite the people who made it, you know, yeah, course, I mean, yeah. I'm less inclined to look into their work moving forwards so if they have yes. future oh, projects. That's 100%, when yeah. I won't engage with that. Um, I don't think you need to worry about Joss having that many future projects. I think no. you're fine. <laughs> well, I know, but the, was it the Nevers is, is um, still around? Yeah, but he's been it? expunged from that, I hasn't know, he? Like, I know, yeah. but he clearly worked on it. I mean, I know he's been expunged yeah, from the record, did. but he did mm. he wrote it, it quite directed, heavily. and yeah, produced it. it. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly. It couldn't be any more all over it at the beginning. Yeah, and I saw, yeah. I saw Sky Atlantic repeated it this week, actually, funny enough. Yeah, rather, well, because still haven't had part two of that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I know, but also I think that it's maybe more difficult for Joss Whedon and Buffy than it is for, say, Kevin Spacey in The Usual Suspects, because Buffy was seen as this radical sort of right. like um, moving of the dial and this sort of feminist series that empowered mm. these young women. And now, if we are to believe that those young women were maybe not having the best time, and maybe he was the cause of that, that does, it colours the way I think you see the show. Yeah. Um, especially when he talks about the, and I can say this because he freely says it, the young attraction people that he had sex with and then you're watching this show and just thinking is it you is it you is it you like who was oh god yeah it's It's, mm. so is it so is absolutely everything um it's yeah obviously we are not the victims here but it is um a fucking shame (laughs) Mm. Um, it is ray fisher and charisma carpenter both responded to that on twitter you know they very much just pointed out the fact that he really there's nothing more they can add he has he has owned himself they don't need to pile on yeah yeah um Amazon released the title 
and a little <laughs> little teaser for the new Lord of the Rings series, which is now officially called The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. And other than having the word rings repeated and separated only <laughs> by the definite article, which bothers me on levels I can't even begin to tell you, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty pleased with it. Like It looked quite cool. It echoed The Lord of the Rings. It felt familiar. Like There were, there were touchstones in there. Oh, look, look, Boyd is waving around his is weighty <laughs> Tolkien tome. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Yeah. Amazon Prime sent me. Did you get one of these? Amazon no, Prime I did me- not. Amazon did not send me a copy of Lord of the Rings. Wow. Is that well, Lord of the Rings or is it the Silmarillion? What is it? No, it's the, it's the Lord of the Rings. It's the whole. It's Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's this lovely special copy of I it. I would have liked one of those, Amazon. James, thanks very please, much. Please, you can have it because I, I don't like the Lord <laughs> I of the Rings. I can't stand books. it. <laughs> James, please, honestly, I'm going to give it to you. when Brilliant. I'll give it to you next time we're in the office. You're but, my favourite person. completely wasted on me. And in fact, they, I remember, they, you just reminded me, they emailed me this week saying, did you get our lavish gift of the Lord of the Rings and failed, I failed to post anything about it or thank them in any way. <laughs> See, I would have posted about it. Yeah, I'm totally <laughs> ungrateful. But it is lovely, 50th anniversary edition. But oh, I thought beautiful. that was so funny. It's yeah, like, Absolutely, yeah. But I did thought it was hilarious, that title, Lord of the Rings, what? The Rings of the Lord. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, what is it telling us about that show? I'm going to say absolutely nothing at all. Well, yeah. it tells us kind of the period it's set in, I guess, doesn't it? Like it's post-forging of the rings and it right. will be, you know, the slow descent as the rings corrupt, you know, whether it be the the men, whether it be the dwarves, whether it be the elves, like how they react. I mean, I don't know. I've never read the Silmarillion. I don't really know this timeline particularly well. But what it did with this, rather than being, you know, like the oh, OC but set in Rivendell, which it quite possibly could have been, um, this, like, it, I now have an idea of what this is. And by tying it to those films that I love, as opposed to, you know, the Hobbit films, which I don't, uh, it's made me more excited about this series. Less excited that they had forged, literally forged that title sequence in a forge, as opposed to using CGI. And I didn't need to see Jeff Bezos, like, holding it. Like, why do I want to see that? But, I mean, uh, yeah. Still. What a, what a bell end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bezos Bellend. Indeed. What's weird Indeed. is, can I just say, I'm Blue looking, Horizon. Blue Origin? Blue Horizon? What's the name of his penis rocket? Yeah, Blue Anyway, that's Blue Penis, yeah. But <laughs> the Blue Penis. What, what's weird is. Voice right, by Be- Derek. Sorry, go on. Jeff, Jeff Bezos putting himself front and centre, right? Of of the Lord of the Rings as being yeah. the biggest biggest TV show they've ever done on on app and being told regularly by the poor, and I'm not blaming them, by the poor Amazon Prime Video operatives to stop calling it Amazon Prime and start calling it Just Prime Video. <laughs> and Jeff, Jeff Amazon Bezos is totally yeah. reminding us that it's fucking Amazon. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, just a minor point. I thought I mentioned it. Still, exciting stuff. Yes. Uh, so that will be coming. Tell you what won't be coming. Why the last man? Oh, it's done, isn't it? Yeah. It is done. They tried to find a new home. A showrunner Eliza Clark did look around to see if she could find a new home for Why the Last Man. And it turns out... No. No. No, she couldn't. I must admit, I'm not upset. I didn't like, finish it, but that's not to say that like, it has a very strong core following, doesn't it? So I'm sure people are very upset. <laughs> I mean, I watched all of it. Like, I watched it all the way through to the end, yeah. but I felt like it wasn't that compelling. Uh, and I loved the graphic novel, but this didn't didn't really grip me, unfortunately. Yeah, it was a brilliant okay. opening, brilliant opening episode, wasn't it? it mm. Yeah, rather similar to another show we're going to review, in, in, I think, c- coming up. Um, uh, but I didn't finish it either. Yeah, and so, but I feel sorry for her. It's a shame. She, she did it sell. Shame, didn't she? she was very she, passionate about it. She's mm. very passionate about it. And she did, sell, and it was beautifully made and everything. But she did say on Twitter how hard it is. People think it's easy to move shows from one place to another, from one network or channel or 
streaming service and shit. It's hard, of course. Like, of course, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. the mm. OA. Let's just let's just remember that. Indeed. Yeah. Hashtag save the OA. Yeah. Um, did you watch the Moon Knight trailer? Yep. Did you watch Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac watching the Moon Knight trailer? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. No, I just watched the actual trailer. Oh, what's Which that? was a delight. Oh, okay. uh, I enjoyed both the trailer and their little impromptu trailer talk where they watch it and talk about it. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, this has made me excited. I didn't really know whether I cared about Moon Knight. It's not a character I'm particularly familiar with, but mm-hmm. I thought the trailer looked fascinating. Uh, his accent it is a mood uh but, but like in a good but I, and i don't think he's doing a bad accent i, I think yeah. it's a very deliberate character choice one of yeah. many characters which are wrapped up in in moon knight as it happens uh so he's got a kind of dissociative identity um but yeah that, yeah I'm, I'm 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 here for moon knight and i think obviously boba fett has lowered the bar so low that it's basically on the floor so we'll definitely clear that but um what did you think? Were you, were you, were you here I for it? it? Were you? Very much so, yeah. I think, and I just think, we need to sit back and think about it. Oscar Isaac, Ethan Hawke, and we should say, really sadly, Gaspard Ulliel, yeah. who died this week, oh, horrendously. Skiing in a accident. Skiing accident. Yeah. Age 37. He is in, he hmm. is in uh, Moon Knight as well. Um, yeah. A brilliant cast. Absolutely brilliant cast. And it looked very stylish. And, and, and you know, and, and even the accent, because as you say, that's going to be, he's going to be doing presumably multiple accents and lots of different yes. um, personalities. A la, what was the M. Night Shyamalan? Um, split. Split. A la Split, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm fascinated by it. And equally, I have no idea about this character. I have and literally no, didn't know about enough. So I, when it was announced that it was happening, I was like, oh, the only interesting thing is that it's the, the, of the cast, really. But then you see the trailer and you think, actually, it does look really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ironically, I've been so consumed with doing the news, I haven't followed the news as much this week. So I have not watched it. It's almost like you've got a new job, Beth, that you're (laughs) throwing yourself into. Do you know what? During our recording, someone has messaged me because the new Empire is out today. And I did not realize that my masthead entry is up. So I am now officially imprint news editor. So someone sent me a very sweet screen grab of that, which I'm going to get framed. Yeah. Fantastic. No, I haven't seen it yet. Very excited to do it. We do like a trade the talk section of the magazine, and I do feel like we should do trade the talk of the trade the talk of <laughs> Moonlight yes. as, as that yes. entry this month. <laughs> uh, what other trailers we had this week? Netflix's Vikings Valhalla got a trailer. Lots more Norse fun there. I mean, clearly, I'm the only one of us who's going to be watching this, <laughs> yeah. but I'm pretty fucking psyched about it. What else have we seen? What else have we seen? There was another bit of Last of Us casting. You'll be excited to know that Storm Reed is going to be playing the character of Riley in the Last of Us TV series. So those who know, know, and those who don't will obviously know nothing about that. Well, but I was Storm Reed say, from A Wrinkle in Time. More, she's great. More interestingly, um, there's more White Lotus casting there news. There was, they're, yes. They're doling these that? out. Yeah, week by week now, they seem to be mm. giving us more drip, feeding us more White Lotus cast, and the cast just keeps getting better and better. Tom Hollander, the legendary Tom Hollander, ah. um, who I interviewed Not to be confused recently. with Tom Holland or Tom Hollandist. Exactly. <laughs> Tom Hollander from the night of the Night Manager fame. Um, he's also coming up in the ITV's The Ipcrest File, and I interviewed him um, about that when I did, uh, host, I did a kind of thing before Christmas, and he's an absolute delight. F. Murray Abraham, legend. Of yep. Homeland Ooh. and Amadeus fame. Um, and, and Star Trek uh, Insurrection fame. 
There you go. Um, <laughs> Hayley Lou Richardson, who's in Splits, which I just mentioned. Uh, oh, I love her. Yeah, she's brilliant. She's yeah. really great. Um, yep. She'll be great near her next to Aubrey Plaza as well. Exactly. Uh, and joining, already announced, Michael Perioli, Aubrey Plaza, and we assume Jennifer Coolidge. But yeah, really good. Really good. I mean, what they're in that brilliant position, aren't they? Casting the wide artists. All Everyone's seen the first one and knows how fucking brilliant it was. And now every single character, what a brilliant opportunity for an actor to show off because they're all so fantastically weird, eccentric, annoying, brilliant. So you can, I mean, I guess they just approach, you know, anyone, any great actor, and they're going to say yes to the yeah. White Lotus, I feel. Oh, we've had a new show from Taika Waititi and Reese Darby coming out where they play pirates. Again, I have not watched the trailer for yet, but Taika Waititi playing Blackbeard, I think is fulfilling many a fantasy um, for that. Uh, so I'm really excited to see where that goes. Yeah. yeah, I haven't watched the trailer for that, but I've heard good things. I've yes. heard, heard good things, but I've not watched it yet. I did see that Timothy Oliphant's going to be playing Raylan Givens again because Justified is returning oh, yeah. uh, for a movie, Justified colon City Primeval, based on the Elmore Leonard uh, novel City Primeval High Noon in Detroit. So, I, I mean, I love Justified, so I'm excited to see that. You know what I'm really excited to see? The Ray Donovan movie, which I believe is aired in the States, but has not yeah, come from the UK yet. Yeah. yeah, I really want to watch that. I've had a couple of people ask me when it's coming to um, Sky, and I haven't seen. Uh, yeah, they uh, haven't Sky it yet. announced it yet. No, but no. I loved Ray Donovan, so I'm, I really want to yeah, see that. Yeah, it was good. That'd be great. It was really good. Um, mm. Happy Valley started filming this week. Yes, it has. Series three, um, and, and there's the a cast announcement, didn't they? Yeah, new cast members: Amit Shah, who's in The Long Call, who's really always really good in everything he does; uh, Mark Stanley, who was in The Girl Before, um, which was on recently, the BBC Three thriller. And yeah. Molly Winard, who is in Four Lives, which was also great recent BBC drama. So, um, and we know James Norton's coming back, and all, the whole core cast is coming back. Basically, um, I'm just excited that it's underway, and I'm guessing, in, considering they're filming it now, I think it should be ready by the autumn. I'd be amazed if it's not like yeah. flagship autumn BBC cannot drama. wait. Yeah, very exciting. I want to mention a thing, another Netflix thing. That's barely been announced, but it's coming, um, I think, next week, 3rd of February, right? And I don't know, we, we won't get around to reviewing it because it's not really James's thing. But this is Murderville. <laughs> Do you know about this? Murderville is the American version of the classic BBC Three show, Murder in Successville. Murder in Successville was a completely bizarre format created by Tom Davis, the brilliant, lovely Tom Davis uh, of King Gary fame and has fantastic podcast called The Wolf in the Air with Roma Shranga Nathan. And in it, Tom Davis played this detective and they would have guest stars, real-life guest stars, like Dermot O'Leary and um, so, uh, lots of other people, real-life people, trying to solve a, a, a mystery, a kind of comedy murder mystery in this fictional <laughs> town. And they'd be improvised... But there'd be people playing famous celebrities, like impersonations who were among the suspects. And it was a really bizarre, kind of contrived and yet brilliant format that ended up being, mm. was, I think I only ran for one or two series and was really funny. Now the American version is arriving, which is Will Arnett is playing the Tom Davis character, the detective. <laughs> and he's going to be joined by the guests, include Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek. Sharon fucking Stone is doing it. <laughs> I mean, so basically, you're going to get to see Sharon Stone in an improvised comedy murder mystery right. hosted and acted alongside Will Arnett. That's and it brilliant. arrives. Yeah, so there we go. 
You know what I mean by James won't let us review it or anything. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, it's, no, like, it's, not, it's a comedy. It's improvised. It's got, you know, celebrities in it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing that we almost certainly will review if it actually gets made. I don't know how this is happening. Have you seen the NBC greenlit? A Quantum Leap sequel yes. show. Yeah. Yes. What yes. is happening here? And there's course. even a possibility that Scott Bakula might be in it. Obviously, uh, Dean Stockwell is no longer with us, so we will not be having Al. But Sam Beckett, you know, there's a part of me that when all these shows come back, you know, Dexter coming back, if you'd said to me, like, what's a show that you would actually like to see what has been happening to this character decades later? There is a part of me that would genuinely like to see that because the end of Quantum Leap, although it has a great finale, is that final line, isn't it? Dr. Sam Beckett never returned home. And so he's just going to leap for the rest of his life. So like coming back to him when he spent the last three decades just leaping and leaping and leaping and leaping, I'm quite curious. Like he's presumably like had some kind of breakdown. <laughs> I mean, who knows? But I'm curious. To see, I, do, I don't know who this is for. Is the only perhaps slight issue here? Mm, in the, I think it's nostalgia, think, isn't it? There's a loads of there's a load of people who remember fondly the the show. But, the I mean, I feel a bit like if you're old enough to have watched Quantum Leap, like would it really interest you now? And if you weren't, then obviously you won't care. So it feels a little bit because it was a long time ago that that show finished. So I don't know. When was the last one? Ninety three, that early nineties. Yeah. 93. Mm. It was 93. Yes. Okay, good. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's a pretty long time to go without it. But then it could be a reboot. We really don't know at the moment. Maybe yeah. it's a new Leaper and like he appears as a cameo. Maybe he doesn't mm. appear at all. We don't know. Could but, be a recall. Uh, could be a recall. It could be a recall. Uh, <laughs> oh, but they've, they've only greenlit a pilot at this stage. You may never make it to series. You know, who knows? We will see. Any other news you wish to cover? No. <laughs> no. Okay, we are done with news. So at that point, let's hear from our second guest this week. If you have seen The Leftovers, and if you haven't, then why haven't you? But if you've seen The Leftovers, then you will already be familiar with Carrie Coon's incredible performance as Nora Durst, who is, frankly, the best thing in one of TV's best series. Uh, she's also Proxima Midnight in Avengers Endgame. Uh, Vera Walker, interestingly, in season two of The Sinner, which also returns this week. But now, now we have her causing ripples in 19th century New York society as the ferocious Mrs. Russell in Julian Fellow's The Gilded Age. Uh, she sent an invitation to Beth, asking her to come. I'm calling for tea. And this is how it went. So thrilled to be with you today, Karen. Thank you for joining. My pleasure. Thank you. No problem. I mean, this is such a delicious character um, for yourself. I was wondering what were your first impressions of Bertha when she kind of sprung out of the page for you? Mm. Well, the script was accompanied by a document that Julian wrote about her arc and so it was very impressive in its scope. And what I discovered was that she was modeled after Alva Vanderbilt. Mm. And Alva Vanderbilt was an extraordinary person who had um, a pretty fascinating life, especially uh, as a woman in her time. And so um, I got to read all about her uh, in preparation. And that was awfully compelling because, of course, all of these women, they could have been senators or uh, entrepreneurs in their own right. But because of the time they were living in, they were relegated to the social sphere. And so um, it was exciting to think about that energy of in, in the world that she was in. And Julian is obviously, uh, I mean, a national treasure from this side of the pond. What was your relationship like with his work before you came on board? Well, I had watched Downton Abbey and yeah. watched um, that extensively. And um, so I knew how well-versed he was in the time period. 
And his grasp of the intricacies of the social dynamics was always really fascinating to me. And then I was even more impressed when he agreed to bring in Sonia Warfield and Dr. Erica Dunbar to assist him in writing the American characters, particularly the African-American characters. So what I love about Julian is that not only is he incredibly knowledgeable, but he also knows when he's out of his depth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was absolutely collaborative. And that was that was really moving and impressive for me. And I mean, the costumes, you it felt like you didn't have to just wear them. You really had to own them as Bertha. Mm-hmm. What was what was the key to kind of getting to grips with all the layers and bustles and headpieces and things? Well, certainly we had an extraordinary department. Kasia and her assistants are um, thorough and detailed and, and so much fun. And the first time I put on the pieces that Kasia was building for Bertha, I, I immediately knew how to walk. Uh, it just, it, it's uh, the, the older I get, the more my process has become outside in as opposed to inside out. I used to be a very intellectual actor. And now I really relish all of the artists who are working outside of me. Yeah. And uh, the costumes certainly informed all of that. Um, and, and of course, those magnificent hats. We had two extraordinary milliners working on. I mean, I had hats that didn't fit in carriages. I was, you know, my head to the side <laughs> because my feathers were too tall. And that's, you know, and coupled with the set that you're walking into, you really have to take up space. Mm-hmm. There's a heightened quality to the language in these period pieces, and you have to be willing to take up space. And the costumes absolutely inform that. How else did you kind of adapt to that? I mean, I, <laughs> that's such a wonderful image to have your head crushed. What else did you kind of have to get used to in your day-to-day on set in that respect? Well, fortunately, I come from the theater, and so I've done a lot of corset work outside in 90-degree weather doing summer stock in upholstery fabric. So I've been, I've been well-trained for this moment. That doesn't really compare to wearing a corset for 17 hours, which you often will do in TV and film. But luckily for me, I got knocked up. And so I got to ditch my corset after about two months. <laughs> oh my goodness. And that was a whole other challenge was continuing to be Bertha physically while my body was changing dramatically from show to show. And the costume department was really magnificent with that, too. We actually managed to hide it from a lot of people working on post-production. They didn't even know I was pregnant. And I was eight months pregnant when we wrapped. Wow. Sitting in front of, like, or behind a lot of big, like, hams and things, I imagine. Yes, there was a a few well-timed carriages and, and you know, a nicely placed horse. But, yes. (laughs) I mean, you've But mostly costumes. Oh, that's amazing. Um. Well, I mean, it sounds like you've you've traveled back a fair amount, but what is your favorite thing about being able to go back to the the eighteen eighties, I believe it is? What was what was the best part? Eighteen eighty two, yes. The best part is that I'm a real nerd and I love school. And so for me, what I relished was getting to read all about the time period. I'm a huge Henry James fan. I love Edith Wharton. I mean, Henry James is probably my favorite novelist. And so it was such a wonderful invitation, especially as an actor. I haven't really done a period piece in TV and film. And the scale of this production is really unlike anything I've ever worked on. And so it felt like stepping into one of those novels in just the most delicious way. I really, from what I've seen so far of Bertha, she she comes across as pretty scrappy. And I really like the line in the first episode that defeat isn't a color that suits her. And I was wondering what your, what was your in for this kind of mentality? <laughs> ah, well, uh, I'm, uh, maybe fortunately or unfortunately, I absolutely relate. I'm i I'm an athlete. I, I played soccer in college and I was on a ex- extraordinarily winning track and field team in high school. We were the state champions and we lost two meets in 26 years. So I'm actually extremely competitive. I love to win. <laughs> I hate running, but I love winning. 
Yeah. And so I, I, and I, this is a profession that is extremely challenging, especially for women. You really have to hang in there. It's a war of attrition. And Bertha is relentless. And there's a quality of being an actor in a in a country that's not particularly friendly to the arts that requires that kind of pluck. And I and I also admire that that ultimately what she's after is at least a, a kind of egalitarianism. She finds the social mores deeply unfair. And ultimately, um, the kind of changes that need to happen in society are about creating equality. And I actually think that that Bertha's mindset, it tends toward that very modern idea, which we have yet to achieve. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, from what I've seen, but there, there is that spark there, there is that fire that we've yet to really see her, you know, full throttle Bertha. Can we expect to see that? I mean, I know we're quite limited in what we can say, but can we expect to see Bertha, you know, fully kind of teeth out, raring to go on the social scene? Yes, she has nowhere else to go. (laughs) (laughs) She's like a cornered animal. And the more desperate she gets, the more intense her tactics will be. Oh, my goodness. Incredible. And I I just I have to call out this ensemble cast because it is just peerless. I mean, do we get to see with Cynthia and and what was that like to be on a set? That must have been so so thrilling. Yes, uh, you know because there are two households, I didn't get to um, see those women nearly as much as I would like because I admire Cynthia and Christine so much. Yeah. But as you pointed out, there are seventeen, I think Tony <laughs> Tony nominees or something, or or winners or Tonys among the cast, and so um, it really was like doing a big Broadway show with all the musical theater people that I'm not talented to act next to on stage. <laughs> so um, to get to share some space with them was, it was an extraordinary gift to me. And of course, these people have been walking around in period costumes for decades. And so it just, they just wear them so easily. And it was very, um, it was really inspiring to me to be with Kelly and Audra and just, you know, extraordinary actors, as you pointed out. Um, and also the tone, because theater actors are always grateful to have a job <laughs> so <laughs> the overwhelming attitude on set was certainly one of gratitude <laughs> superb I mean the, the sheer scale of this is it's a feature length first episode and I feel like you personally have been there at the forefront of this incredible wave of television and the storytelling that has improved through television uh, obviously the sinner leftovers which I adore I mean what mm-hmm. is driving you in a small screen project now I feel like you've just had such a wealth of wonderful projects what are you looking for now Mm, that's a great question I feel like I haven't read it yet whatever it is (laughs) um you know oftentimes when you do something well everyone wants you to do it again yeah (laughs) as an actor that's not necessarily the most exciting challenge um You've already seen me make all my grieving mom faces. <laughs> Time to do something new. And so this was such a wonderful opportunity, again, to sort of play in a period piece, which requires, it has a whole different set of challenges. And so what's next for me? I mean, I hope I actually get to do a little more comedy. I'm known for my dramatic work. <laughs> There's a lot of ugly crying on my resume. And I'm really looking forward to getting to lean into the other side because um, that's how my family thinks of me. They find my find this dramatic career of mine a bit perplexing honestly <laughs> I thought you were hysterical in the nest so that is oh uh, thank you thank you <laughs> nothing not exactly was. a laugh riot but I love it I think you're in the UK you guys really get the nest you understand the sensibility it's very much a movie for adults 
yes it's incredibly dark and brittle like us yes Yes. and I love you for it (laughs) well Carrie it's been an absolute pleasure and I'm I'm just so excited to see where Bertha goes she's she's thank you so much take care see you next time that was Carrie Coon and now we move on to this week's reviews and we begin not with the Gilded Age, but instead with the After Party, uh, which is a show in which Chris Miller turns his hand to party planning and stars Tiffany Haddish and the likes of Sam Richardson, Zoe Chow, Ben Schwartz, Jamie Dimitriou, uh, and a lot of other people. And there is an investigation of a murder, and it takes place via a kind of Rashomon lens that hops through different genres from episode to episode. Uh, but boy, the question on our lips, of course, is, is this a comedy show or a horror show? Yes, it's a comedy comedy show um <laughs> uh, it's a little there's a little bit of a um a trend isn't there no for whodunits the return of the classic kind of comedy frothy comedic quasi-comedic whodunits with only murders in the building this and another one that i can't think of at the moment but there's definitely at least one more um mm. frothy comedy whodunity murder mysteries and i'm here for it oh i'm thinking of the film of knives out like you know that film yeah yeah and there'll be the sequels coming up on netflix um and i love this stuff i love the genre generally and i really enjoyed this i think um it's got a very it's got an absolutely classic whodunit um set up so this annoying twatty young boy (laughs) band pop star played by dave franco who i have to say um looks like about 20 years younger somehow than he is i don't know if it's cgi or makeup or what the fuck they've done but he literally looks like he's in his early 20s he's like a harry styles kind of figure it feels like annoying but um, harry styles is a good guy um i'm told but this guy is an annoying twat um and various people who and he's he goes to a the setup is he goes to a big high school reunion with his class of whenever it was and they've all got various reasons to be annoyed slash hate slash whatever him be be jealous of him all those um, guest stars you mentioned played by the likes of those people ben schwartz um uh jamie dimitriou doing an american character really good yeah. love it to see him we all love um jamie dimitriou the great alana glazer fantastic so, and uh, the first episode introduces all of them pretty much and and makes it clear right from the beginning that he has somehow he's in his lavish californian coastal mansion and he has somehow dropped from his balcony to earth and is dead and we think he's probably been pushed by someone by one of the attendees of the party in comes tiffany haddish as the detective dana um investigating the case she's really funny she's kind of like she's kind of she's got this very laissez-faire almost approach kind of that she could barely cares about what's going on and yeah she really does and she's doing mm. a kind of really clever job of just kind of interviewing each character and i think the format i haven't watched as many episodes as beth did you say you've watched most of them beth yeah i've yeah. only watched I, but i guess the format is that each episode is going to be built around one of the suspects mostly yeah. right and that's gonna yeah um and and it'll all be solved I think by the end, but I very much enjoyed it. It's very light on its feet. Um, it's the cast is fantastic. Um, the characters are kind of intriguing and funny, um, and I like the mystery. I mean, I'm I'm in, I'm hooked by the mystery already. I like the whole setting, the lavish, this lavish, ludicrous pop stars mansion. Um, so yeah, I'm fully on board with it. I, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I fully. Well, I was excited about this from the off. I love Lord and Miller's um, 
entire catalogue really i love that they bring it it's it's both fun and exciting but such heart that they bake into everything that they do as well um and this cast is like crack to me alana glazer i adore sam richardson i love and i love that in the first episode he kind of gets to be the leading man in a romantic comedy essentially um and he's really charming and has really wonderful rapport with um, Zoe Chow, who is the kind of one that got away while they were at high school together. Um, so yeah, this real wonderful gaggle of people, Jamie Dimitri especially. And I don't know if I'm, I've been watching it because I know who he is and because I love him. You notice they put him in almost every scene of it as well. And I'm wondering if that's going to lead to something. I've seen all of them mm. except the last one. So the big reveal. And he has a fair amount to do, but he has the characteristics of staff. But with an American accent, he plays Walt in this um, and is kind of a, the one that was always there, but nobody remembers. It's kind of his whole shtick. Um, and then every episode has its own kind of um, genre as well. So um, Zoe's, for example, is animated. Ilana Glazer's is, is more of a drama. And then Tiffany Haddish, she gets her own episode as well. And that's like almost quite noiry in a way, um, what she gets to do with that as well. Um and so I love that, that it shifts time, but keeps that consecutive um, kind of everybody in it has their own motives. Nobody operates in a black or white area. Everyone's a little bit gray. Everyone's a suspect. You really don't know where this is going to go. Um, and yeah, I think it's really well made. But it, the fact that the writing keeps up with the cast is what does it for me, because I've seen too many big starry ensemble shows or films. I'm thinking of like Don't Look Up, for example, mm. which I watched recently, where the cast is is stellar. It's a really, really strong cast, but the writing just doesn't quite know what to do with all that talent, it feels like, or it feels too preoccupied to kind of work in line with this. Whereas this, it keeps going and the energy keeps going as well, which is really for, oh, Ben Schwartz's is a musical episode as well. Oh. And all the lyrics to the songs are really fun and high energy. I can see James just backing away inch by inch as I'm talking about this. <laughs> but- <laughs> you, know, you know, by the way, I just wanted to say, so if you don't like, don't look up. If you have any issues with it, you are against climate change and you are some kind of anti-environmentalist monster. I just wanted to point that out. Well, yeah, call me yeah. Jeff Bezos then, because yeah. no. Um, but no, I, I had so much time for this. I loved how propulsive it was. Every, they harness every inch of talent that this really wonderful, wonderful cast has. Um, yeah, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh... So, oh, here we go. I didn't actually hate this. Uh, which is, you know, progress for me. I, I was I was positioned to to hate this. This feels like it felt like a great big red flag for me as the kind of stuff. It's like it's humorous. It's parodic. It's you know attempting to be very art, but not in a way that I find amusing. I didn't like your humor. Um, and I must admit, so watching the first episode, it took me a while to warm to it. the first episode. Is quite long, so it's like about forty eight minutes longer than the others anyway. And uh, and it took me a while. To to adjust to the tone. I found Sam Richardson's Anique very charming. And actually, it probably made me giggle. And actually, by the end of it, as all good rom-com should, for this is the rom-com episode of this show, uh, it had me properly rooting for him, for yeah. Anique and Zoe, for them to get together, like really mm. rooting for them. Um, and I think that's a, that's a sign of it. Like it swept me into its chosen genre. I didn't press on to watch the next one. I think the second one is the kind of action Fast and Furious episode, which I have not yet seen. Um <laughs> So that you know, that would be the next one to look at. But I uh, will I watch more of these? It's probably too early to say. No, no, I won't. 
But uh, <laughs> oh, fucking hell, why not? <laughs> because there's too much else on Boyd, and this is a show oh. that I'm like, I'm like, I appreciate that this show is good, and I think it is. I, you know, I genuinely like. I think I think it's a good show, but it's not my show. I mean, this is not for me. Like, it's not my type of show. In the same way, when I saw Only Murders in the Building, I'm like, you know what? I can see this is a good show. I'm never going to watch another episode as long as I live, but it's a good show. Thanks very much. And goodbye. Um, this is very much the same thing. Great show. Such a try. Won't watch it. Not for me. But uh, but good stuff. Good stuff, I think. And, you know, also bold, like, to do this in this mm. way and stretch this whodunit over these episodes and do them as different genres. Like, it's quite a fun and quite brave thing to do because it's so easy to fuck this stuff up. And look, Lord and Miller know what they're doing. And I think, you know, comedically, those guys have proven themselves time and time again and this is no exception so yeah you know if you like humor then you will like this show i suspect uh the after party which drops on apple uh on the 28th of july next up we have the responder uh in which martin freeman pulls off an outstanding scouse accent uh in this sort of gritty liverpool set police drama uh as he is a sort of i guess somewhat problematic bobby under the heel of some unfortunate people uh working the graveyard shift inexplicably on his own uh in the streets but the question is is this show as good as martin's accent or as terrifying as ian hart's curly wig well, I'm the one who has... I have seen... By the way, I should come clean. Not only have I um, watched this show and Beth hasn't has a chance to, I also did host the um, the launch of this way back in, I think, early December. Um, did you? With Mar- yes, with Martin Freeman and the creator, Tony Schumacher, um, in a London hotel in a basement cinema. And I think... And I got COVID that week. And I think I got <laughs> COVID... <laughs> because I hosted the launch of it's the just going to affect your review. <laughs> it won't respect. It won't affect my review in the slightest. I'm just putting it out there that I think because it was one of the last events before the then the Omnicrom arrived, and you know we, uh, there were limitations. But that was like, yeah, lots of people gathered in a in a basement cinema, breathing on each other <laughs> while I interviewed, <laughs> I interviewed Martin COVID. Freeman and Tony Schumacher. Anyway, so because you know we all we all have to we all have to come clean with our um, if we've interviewed people and we then. Like a show, I think this is a really special show. I'm going to make that clear from the start. So I think it's Tony Schumacher who wrote it. It's his first big TV project. He's written books before, but he was. This is about what he did. He used to be a policeman who would cover late nights on the beat in Liverpool, and he's now got basically Martin Freeman as a as a character who's very very similar. Uh, you know, to him in doing that job. Now he has his own issue. It's not completely autobiographical because Marty Freeman's character is a kind of is going through various crises in his personal life. Um, he's got he he's got one of his acquaintances. Um, you know, is a kind of is a criminal and he ha- having to kind of grapple with that issue. So he's not he's definitely not a kind of whiter than white policeman. He's not corrupt, I would say, but he's definitely got issues and he's been compromised yeah. in various ways and. Uh, the reason, by the way, he doesn't have a partner while he's showing around alone in this first episode is kind of because, you know, I don't think anyone really wants to work with him and he's had partners before. But then Fair. from episode two onwards, we actually Rachel, played by Adelio Adedayo, does become his partner. So she's right. then from then on in the series, um, rides along with him while he um, tries to sort out uh, various gruelling incidents in the nighttime of Liverpool, whether it be people being being um, kind of bullied on housing estates by neighbours, whether it's people, someone dying and having him having to go and do all the kind of the bureaucracy about what happens when someone dies and you have to inform a relative and you have to fill in all the forms to this 
this whole thing with this um kind of gangster this drug dealer who um who he's who he knows who, and there's Ian a Hart young in a wig sorry Ian Hart in a wig yeah played by Ian Hart in a wig I love brilliant in a Ian brilliant Hart. scouse wig brilliant scouse wig and brilliant fully Ian Hart scouse accent like as scouse as you could possibly get I know it is um, it is yeah absolutely phenomenal. It is a lot. Um, and then there's these two youngsters who are kind of embroiled with the uh, with him. Uh, Emily Fern plays Casey, and she has somehow, she has very misguidedly kind of appropriated some of his cocaine. And he's desperately trying to find her. And Martin Freeman's desperately trying to protect her at the same time, and yet is embroiled with him as well. And there's another youngster uh, character as well, played by Josh Finnan, uh, who's also kind of connected. So, but all I'd say is... I, you know, there's police dramas week in, week out, you know, crime, everything. There's probably like two or three a week. I genuinely think this is an original idea because this kind of policeman you rarely, if ever, see on TV. And it's not really about, you know, a mystery. It's not about a murder being investigated. He's not a maverick cop. He's kind of a normal, everyday guy you know who's going through some grueling shit and doing one of the most grueling difficult tortuous jobs you can possibly imagine and it's about how it affects him and can you can you possibly do this job where you're dealing with drug dealers small-time drug dealers poor homeless kids um just people dying for various reasons and it is and it could have been grueling viewing but this because it's so beautifully filmed even though it's so kind of very nighttime neon equality to it and brilliantly acted freeman is phenomenal i mean i know he took for, I think for 18 months he kind of got tried to get that accent perfected and he does a brilliant job it's very good though isn't it's it very like, it good. is very very good fantastic though, I, and i do think he is acting in capital letters all the way through this in quite a big way not to not i'm not i get you know to his credit yeah. i don't think he does it badly i don't think he's being hammy yeah. but there's a lot of like you know oh. you feel like every bit of pain and grit yeah. like it's all yeah. over his face it's quite oh, completely yeah he's very like deliberately unshaven and kind of he's got face fuzz and he's yeah you know like, like he, he, yeah he's definitely and, and every and episodes are bookended by him and his therapist you see him kind mm. of trying to unload his issues with his therapist or his therapist trying to draw them out um i think it's phenomenal i know what you mean i, I think he's playing a character who is going through so much that he's yes yeah it's all it's it, it, it has to be quite a big uh, big performance. I think Adelaide Adedayo as, as, as his new partner from episode two onwards. As episode two is phenomenal, by the way. Episode one sets the scene. Episode two goes off on, on a really almost kind of semi-poetic thing. Um, she's brilliant. Um, kind of uh, trying to... She's kind of innocent and a bit naive, but but equally like knows a lot of stuff that he doesn't know. Um, really good. I just think it's brilliantly written. It's very, It just feels so authentic and real. Um, it's almost at some, at some point you feel like you're watching a fly on the wall documentary about mm. a, a first responder policeman. So I think it's an, a real achievement, um, and I loved it. I think I think that's its strength, isn't it? There is a truthfulness to this that makes yeah. you wonder why anyone would want to be a police officer because uh, it just makes the job look absolutely hellish. But yeah, you know, I, I thought I thought he was great. You know, from the accent to just the sense of the place as well. Like, I don't know Liverpool particularly well, but you do feel very much like it inhabits that space. Um, I liked it. I mean, you say it's not grueling it might not be grueling but it is grim as fuck like it is not uplifting like it's heavy going um yeah. it's, it's 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 not a difficult watch as such but like it's a slightly exhausting watch um but yeah like it's it's i mean it's again like 
not everything needs to be happy. Like Jimmy McGovern stuff is often really fucking grim, but that doesn't make it any less powerful for it. And I think what this has going for it, it is grim, but it does feel real. And, you know, and not to ever sort of like cast aspersions on, on Martin Freeman's acting generally, but I do think this may be like a one of his career best performances. Like oh, it really sure. is. It's a very powerful yeah. bit of acting, even if it is acting in capital letters. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was good. It's, it's you know, it's, <laughs> it's sometimes the tone of it for me is sometimes a little bit like, whew, like I, like I will need to spin up before I can watch the second one of these. Yeah, I was worried for you. Because the first one, which I watched quite late last night, yeah, I was a bit uh, like, oh, uh, yeah. Christ. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It is funny, though, as well. That's the other thing. Sorry, that it, it is funny. Right from the start, it's got a very black comedic tone to it. Again, very which I was black. worried you yes. would have trouble with. <laughs> I was yeah. worried about that. But it is. And, like, there were some great moments. Like, the, episode two begins with... Adelaide Adelaide's character kind of like trying to um, intervene in a violent situation. It's kind of funny and shocking at the same time. We should also mention Mayanna Buring is in it as his partner. Yeah. You know, she's fantastic in everything she does. Warren Brown pops up as his colleague who's mysteriously got something going on, some connection to his wife, maybe, you're not quite sure, and it has it in for him. So there's lots of levels of intrigue as well as the as well as it being, I think, incredibly authentic. Yeah. It is very possible this show does fail the Bell End test. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, it's full of balance, yeah. But I don't it think. Is. I think universally, uh, I would say. Um, I think. I'm Martin trying to think Freeman's of a character, character with a redeeming quality. I'm trying oh, to find one. Martin, I'm failing. F- the central character has redeeming mm, qualities. Oh, I he's, don't he's think he is. He he's a proper balance. No, I don't agree. He's flawed. He's flawed. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he's I mean, a that's generous. That is a generous okay. description. He is not someone no. that I would want to spend time with. But uh, but it is a good show. It is a good show. It's well written. It's well realised. Incredibly well shot and, and very well acted. So uh, The Responder then, which begins on BBC One on Monday, January 24th at 9pm. Next up, we have Julian Fellows returning with some more class-based melodrama in The Gilded Age. So following the sort of none more British Downton Abbey with the none more American show which transplants that whole class divide to 1880s New York. Downtown Abbey, if you will. Uh, so Lord Boyd of Hilton, tell us about this. Well, um, this is classic. This is your textbook, Julian Fellows, isn't it? It's oh, like, so. it's basic, it's kind of Downton in America is the, it is. Is the yeah. is, is yeah. in some ways. It's less, it's set in the late, 19th century when which was called the gilded age it was a boom time in america and there's lots of new wealth being created a new kind of very rich people and it's kind of instead so what it's different from downtown it was downtown was of course an upstairs downstairs clash it was very much about the class divide between the landed gentry and the people who served them this is more about the clash between old money and new money yeah um and you've got um christine baranski and cynthia nixon as these brilliant two aunts these kind of like spinster aunts and, and Christine Bransky is unbelievably bitchy and you know kind of nasty Cynthia Nixon is um, so nice is brilliantly nice and you know trying to be kind and gentle to everyone and that they're, they're a brilliant duo you've got their neighbour their new neighbours are Morgan Spector playing George Russell and Carrie Coon as uh, his wife Bertha and they are the new money he's he's a completely ruthless um, bastard of a, of a robber baron basically she's an unbelievably desperate social climber and and she's phenomenal. I mean, I'm glad Beth interviewed her. And I've, I love Carrie Coon and every single thing she's done. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Gone Girl, every single thing. She has, has she, she's never, 
she's never not given a not just a good performance, but she's never not been brilliant in every single thing oh, she's she does. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And this is her show again. She's not the lead. The lead. The kind. There's two young women who are kind of effectively the leads. Peggy and Marion, played by Danae Benson, and Louisa Jacobson. They meet cute in a railway station on their way to New York, um, and they're just and they become mates, if you like. And they're and they're both really good. They're kind of relative newcomers. But Carrie Coon just steals it as this really quite bitter, um, twisted, new moneyed woman who dresses these amazingly oh elaborate costumes that he like a hat the hats the hatage in this yeah. show is fantastic <laughs> um and she's just completely brilliant in it and there's the scene slight spoiler but you know where she she wants to have a housewarming party she invites 200 people and all i'll say is 200 people do not show up and yeah. the the excess of the food the scene where you show the oh amount of food gosh. that she's got is so funny and it's such a brilliant kind of indication of her desperation to 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 fit in and to be approved of by the old wealth that she, that, that she's now arrived in um i really enjoyed it it just shows what what it, I mean as a, as a Downton fan, what Julian Fellows does at his best is introduce you to an array of characters, and within about half an hour, you pretty much know all of those characters inside yeah. out. You kind of like you yeah. just know who they are. They are instant, and they and so some of, they are types to some extent. But equally, you kind of believe in them and you kind of you buy into them and you're interested in them. And by the end of the first episode, I was like, there's about, you know, 10 characters and all of them. I'm like, oh, yeah, him. He does that. He does that. There's like a little revelation at the end of the first episode about two characters. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good. I wasn't expecting that. And I'm in and I'm completely in. But this is like so it's like down to I mean, the money. The sets that the house that Carrie Coon's character and her husband character move into <laughs> is incredible. It's yeah. so big. Like their fucking hallway is like the size of a football pitch and it has like the biggest, you know, staircases. So the sets and the costumes and the it, just everything about it is as kind of, it's, it's like Downton, but with like 100 times the budget, really. Yeah. Um, and set in New York. And I'm more interested in New York than I am in, you know, wherever the fuck Downton was set. Um, so <laughs> I really liked this. And I know it, and it's, it's got moments that are really obvious and predictable and some of the characters you know, you know exactly kind of what's going to have to happen to them not but others you don't but i really it's really good fun I, in, and the cast that fucking cast i mean <laughs> you know as well as carrie coon just you know you've got you've got what's her name from sex in the city um what's the nixon what's the chops christine baranski always yeah. amazing although, although yeah. to be fair and she's the kind of uh she's the kind of cousin violet character in this particular yeah. one she's no like her character is no dowager countess but no. she, she 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 gives a good approximation to such she's not maggie smith but she's close yeah she's close yeah. i mean yeah. christine baranski has been playing that character for like you know 30 years and she let's face it <laughs> yeah. um uh so yeah i mean it's it's a it's a it's a romp. Yeah. I um, <laughs> I got real Sabrina the Teenage Witch vibes from the start of this. Amazing. Uh, this first episode of this young penniless woman going to heck up with her with her aunts. So they might as well have been called Zelda and Helda or whatever their names were. Um I, I do love I do love that kind of um secondary family get up is really interesting. Um and I think of that cast and there are some crackers in there like Christine Baranski I could watch in anything Cynthia Nixon I'm just I'm just thrilled to see her not in yeah <laughs> and just like that I'm just like that yeah. <laughs> the young cast are holding their own as well but it is very much Carrie Coon's um, show and yeah. I love that she is 
really she's scrappy her character Bertha and that's that's what we talk about in the interview is is the scrappiness that comes with her that she is new money but desperately trying to kind of carve her way into this very steadfast social scene um and chucking bits of furniture about uh but is in you know her husband is like dastardly but they yeah. have a very fail-proof what well, at this stage have a very fail-proof marriage um the scale of it is astonishing, as you were saying, Boyd. Like that HBO money is yeah. is that's new money. It feels like new yeah, HBO totally. money yeah. <laughs> has yeah. gone into the production value of that. My only qualm, and this did come up on the pilot TV podcast group again, to the detriment of my mathematical skills. The first episode is an hour and twenty minutes long. It is a feature length episode, and that fucked me right off. <laughs> that made me so. Yeah. So annoyed. <laughs> but you know, Julian, it's a Julian Fellows thing. He he used to. I th- I'm pretty sure that the first episode of Downton was was feature length, and all of the Christmas specials were feature length. He does right. like a feature length episode. Yeah, that just makes me like Julian Fellows less because that was just <laughs> such. A, I mean, it it was a shock that came down a few notches when I realised that the one two o was an hour twenty and not hundred and twenty minutes, which is what I initially <laughs> thought. It's when I looked up and I saw I had the the bar up for some reason and I was half an hour in and I wasn't halfway through usually like, there's 200 there. hours to go and I was I was brushing on a third of the of the episode and I was like what what it knowing that we had this mammoth um <laughs> I was just like what what on God's green earth is that what what has to be told in an hour and 20 minutes that can't be told in an hour or can't be rushed out over the rest of the series that really tested me I guess if you are a Fellows fan then you're quite kind of acclimatized to it but it, oh it fucked me right off I didn't like it and that really <laughs> not enough to, to to completely dislike the show but I just ah, oh, I just really came up against it I, I don't I'm not here for that I hope nobody else takes heed with that because it's oh I hated it but it wasn't um, boring though was it you weren't bored by it <sighs> I wasn't that wasn't to say I was like in uh, something like the after party, every moment of that, I was like, it swept up in the energy. It was mm. glorious. It felt like a real fanfare of an episode. This felt sometimes not like it was lagging, but it was tepid. It was at like a tepid mm. sort of level for me when it, it could have just been tighter and 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 more impactful and just not an hour and 20 minutes, just not that long. Like I'll take an hour, I'll take an hour five. I, I just, you lose me at an hour 20, to be honest. <laughs> So, yeah, that, that was my, my sole qualm with that. Mm. I, d- I must admit, like, I, I do, I don't know what it is about these shows that sucks me in, but something about <laughs> it just sick. does. Like, like I, I was, again, I was like, oh, now I'm 20 minutes. Oh, my God. Like, I got up early this morning to watch it. And, like, it had been on for 10 minutes and I was sold. Like, I was <laughs> in. I was like, yes, yeah. come on. <laughs> and and I, I couldn't even tell you why. And I just, I think it's exactly as Boyd says, like, you feel like you know these characters intimately after just a few scenes with them. Yeah. And you get quite invested very fast. And yes, it's full of Julian Fellows tropes. Like, you got the scheming, evil, like, maid. And, you know, and there's a closeted gay couple at one point as well. Like, it's all this stuff. It's all very Downton, you know, very Downton. Mm. But it feels slightly different. And part of that is American. And part of that is, as Boyd said, that it's not so focused on the upstairs downstairs thing which i must admit i missed a little bit because you have hints of the upstairs downstairs but 
not it's not it doesn't take place in one household this doesn't it's principally in two there are more but it's print two principal households and we see the sort of downstairs of both of those households and the servants seem a little bit at the moment um homogenous you know a little bit interchangeable i couldn't tell you who any of them are like i couldn't pick any of them out of a lineup like they didn't seem particularly distinct whereas the ones in downtown because they are the focus they come fully formed you got mrs patmore you got mr carson you got the footman you know you're all of them you got little daisy like oh like you, you know who all these characters are the second that you meet them and i mean thomas all of them and um Whereas with this, I didn't have that. But I, I did, I found that interesting, that the barrier here, because it's always him, it's the divide. It's always a class divide, whether it be working class and upper class. And here, it's old money and new money. And it's the, you know, the distaste they have for these nouveau riche people who've moved in and how Carrie Coon is desperate to become accepted by old New York. Um, you know, and and I, I like the sort of the the kind of the wrinkle of having the kind of uh, the, 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 the uh, penniless niece come in, thrown upon the mercy of her aunt, but actually turns out to be a, a bit of a fire brand disruptive influence with big ideas and a good head on her shoulders who wants to shake up the the world order like yeah i really i really enjoyed it you know i'm really i was really there and so and they take her out and she's not being been presented to society and they go to a charity meet but there's some undesirables there and she can't tell her answer she's there and then a big party is thrown and nobody turns up and you're like oh no they didn't come and you're just like oh yeah there's a lot and then you know that that the, she's brought on that special maid to help her you know learn the ways of old money but that maid is actually a really nasty piece of work and you're like oh i don't like her she's in for it later on i just yeah i was i was here for this i'm i'm here for the gilded age all over i can't it. believe you didn't um the, the the butler their butler the aunts the old aunt's butler who yes. is played by simon jones who was arthur dent in hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy the original bbc oh, wow. and is one of the great um actors of our time i loved him in hitchhiker's guide um he's brilliant in this he and he's like yeah he's he's a fantastic oh, i missed butler. that entirely i didn't recognize him at all <laughs> yeah absolute legend total legend and of course there's also a cute dog pumpkin the dog let's not forget <laughs> yes there is a cute um, dog that does is really a cute well dog. i thought it was fantastically believable as the dog and um yeah it's it is, it is, it is just like, fun. there are interesting elements the fact that your your niece character on her way there like essentially gets robbed and she meets a young black woman who's traveling to new york as well and befriends her and she so there's a race element to it as well yeah. and i really yeah. enjoyed the fact that christine baranski's character is a horrific snob but not a bigot so you know i thought, I thought that's <laughs> yeah. actually yeah, you know, no, it, yeah i know nuanced. what you mean yeah, yeah. He, he does mm. deal with like racism, sexuality, class. He, I mean, considering he's a Tory, famously, um, uh, <laughs> Julian Fellows, he's a Tory lord, but he's he does love all that stuff. He and I think it's you know I think he deals with it re really interesting. I, I want to make the music. Do you think the music was spectacularly bombastic? Like there oh, are yeah. moments, right? Yeah. If there are moments. I have, uh, there's one bit where nothing's really happened. Like Carrie Coon, I think Carrie Coon just walks into her house and the music goes. <laughs> dum, ba -dum, ba -dum, ba. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's happening. It's fine. It's literally. It's like, but it just adds to the whole epicness of it. The music is way more over the top than Downton. That's a big difference. Like Brilliant. they've cranked it up to make even like the slightest little. Like when she's alone at the end, she's alone for a bit, and there's another gigantic music thing break. cue breaks out. It's really funny how how big the music is. Anyway. The Gilded Age, which of course uh, begins on Sky Atlantic uh, and now on Tuesday, January 25th at 9pm.
Next up, we have, uh, well, I'll be honest, a show about a viral pandemic in which the world's population dies isn't quite really on with the cultural mood at the moment, but still. Uh, Station Eleven, I would say, tackles, uh, well, it tackles just such a subject. Uh, it's actually adapting the 2014 novel by Emily Sinjin Mandel, uh, and it stars Mackenzie Davis, Himesh Patel, and Laurie Petty, among others. Uh, it takes a slightly different approach to post-apocalyptic life, I would say, than people might be used to. Isn't that right, Beth? Yes, it does, in the best way. Because um, let's be honest, I don't think this is going to be the last pandemic drama that we see <laughs> coming from major streamers over the coming years, decades, etc. Um, I enjoyed this very much. So yes, um, it sort of. I've seen the first two episodes, and I'll be honest now, I watched them a little while ago. I haven't had a chance to rewatch them. Um, but... Basically, the the first episode is is the beginning of the pandemic and how that manifests, and it um it spotlights Hamish Patel's character. Um, so he's he's gone to see King Lear, um, which is played by Gael Garcia Bernal. We'll get into the cast. The cast is absolutely ridiculously great. Um, and and suddenly he he essentially dies on the stage, um, and that is the. The way that we're introduced to the pandemic, which results in Hamish Patel's character, is essentially a, a kind of um, capsule story in which Hamish Patel's character is taking this little girl who is a actor in in the play and takes her to stay with his brother. So it's about you know when you're in a zombie film and you see just oh like Shaun of the Dead, you know when he goes to get his coke in the morning and there's uh there's people being eaten in on the peripheries. That's essentially what the the crux of this first episode. You're starting to hear whispers. Um Hamish Patel's character is getting tip-offs from his sister that some who works in a hospital that some some pretty bad stuff is coming and so he goes and gets trolleys worth of of supplies and goes to stay with his recluse brother with this little girl so that's the first one and then the second episode changes completely and it's um Mackenzie Davis is the old version of the girl um Kirsten and her life after after that's happened really and, and humanity kind of building up from the ground up but not in the really kind of grim dystopian way that I am already sick to death of and again don't think we're going to see the last of that either are we let's be honest hmm. um it's it's done in a really creative way she's part of of an acting troupe that I don't hate um which is a large part of what her character does now and they basically um begin to well they they process what's happened to them through doing Shakespearean reenactments um and yeah it is super creative I am enjoying the storytelling immensely it's conceptual without being grisly and and bleak and upsetting um the characters are all written with real love i haven't read the book so i can't say if that's that's been taken completely from that but they're all really kind well-meaning characters which is i mean you've said that before haven't you james that you need somebody who you can really get on board mm. with to really that's usually an end for for the story for me too and, and that's absolutely what's happened here and then this cast is just gargantuan like it's it's wonderful i'll always raise a little fist in the air if I see someone from EastEnders breaking big <laughs> and that's what Hamish Patel's obviously done here and he's just wonderful he is this kind of everyman which I know is, is something he plays very well but yeah he um, gets panic attacks as, as part of this thing so that's part of a, a trope of his character um, 
And it, and it changes very drastically between the two. So between Kirsten as a little girl, Kirsten as an adult. And I haven't seen the other episodes yet, but I'm assuming that's kind of filling in the blanks between those. Yeah. It's a bit, that first episode's a bit of a Trojan horse because that first episode is very much the kind of p- apocalyptic, this is the end of the world. And it's very carefully done. It's very thoughtfully done, very yeah. artfully done, but it is an end of the world episode. But the second episode is very, very different. As you say, like it, it skips forward. The second episode is like 20 years later and it's an acting troupe and it's a totally different tone and it slows right down. But then the third episode takes you back to before where the pandemic's breaking out again and it seems mm. to alternate. You seem to you come back to the post-apocalyptic world and then you go back to these various timelines which are either just before, during, or just after the outbreak. So it fills in the gaps of that intervening timeline but also sort of fleshes out what actually happened from various different characters' point of view. So like you mentioned Gail Garcia-Banel, like it's, he seemed like a really random piece of casting initially because he's in it for, for just moments in the first episode and then not at all in the second but then he comes into it more later. Mm. So it's got a very literary structure i thought like you can really feel the book's influences in it but what most impressed me about this is that it has a real leftoversy tone to it oh, like it's definitely. very oh, yeah. meditative oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. but like but it is like it's like it's very sort of like present and slow burning and careful yeah. it's like a character study and it just felt to me like a real sort of like um rumination on loss and on community and given the subject matter which is all about the end of the world and a pandemic it's actually really heartwarming and it's lovely just looking at the bonds between these characters and how they flex and sometimes break and come back together and these sort of you know how these people find meaning in their lives through community through this little acting troupe essentially yeah um yeah i i thought it was a i thought it was a really really kind of special show anyway yeah boyd <laughs> yeah well it, patrick somerville who is the showrunner worked on um of course the leftovers a lot mm. he wrote some of the um best episodes of the show and was on, on the on the in the writing room throughout. So I think that influence, that tone, it's mm. tonally, I think, I mean, you know, I mean, Leftovers has a lot of stuff about how people, communities and individuals respond and deal with the trauma of losing yeah, vast grief and swathes loss and, mm. of the population. So there, there, there is a subject connection and subject matter as well. But I think the tone of it, once you get to, you know, the, the second episode and you've got the travelling troupe called the Travelling Symphony, you know, just that, mm. that, you know, I know it is all from the novel, but just, and there's a cult, there's a kind of cult element to it as well. Yes, that's right. Um, which we slowly kind of discover. And even the time split, and I, you know, I, it, it, the, the timeline thing is one of my bugbears, as, as regular listeners will know. Mm. But sometimes it's completely justified, and in this case, it's absolutely one hundred percent makes sense because you know it's it just means that it's a way of avoiding clunky exposition as much as anything, mm. isn't it? Like so, it takes you through what happens to the world via individuals and actually the first step is quite traumatic and and I, you know I, I agree with you completely that once you get over the trauma of the first episode which establishes the beginning of this horrendous global flu pandemic which is way harsher by the way than um than covid um in terms of its reaction you know on the on the victims and the speed with which it makes its way through the whole population um but then from once you start watching the second episode i think it, turn, it, it that is when the whole idea of this community and and strength through um what they've been through and how they've recovered from the trauma of 20 years previously really starts working itself out in a really powerful and totally convincing believable way it all kind mm. of feels like it makes sense you know this is what probably what would happen to 
the people who survived this kind of event. So, I mean, it is, I thought the I thought the first episode was very reminiscent of Why the Last Man, which we were talking about before in news. Yeah. I mean, even down to how they show that this really is a fucking global disaster. You know, um, there's a there's a there's there's one moment which is very similar to a moment in Why the Last Man, and I yeah. think it has that similar intimate yet epic feel to it as it's showing you mm. you showing these individuals dealing with this onset of the apocalypse, the flu apocalypse, and yet at the same time it's very very intimate. Particularly this child being looked after by um, this guy reluctantly. You know, he keeps kind of you think at various moments he's going to eventually just let her go, and you know, but then he realises he's got to just look after her, and that's really moving. Just in the first episode, um, I think mm. I think the kid Matilda Lawler plays the young Kristen, who's the kid who yeah. has to be. She's brilliant, absolutely Honestly, brilliant. Young actors, yeah. <laughs> sounding, I'm sounding a million years old now, but young actors today, based on Yellow Jackets yeah. and some other films I've seen recently, right? So good, so, so good. good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not in any way annoying. You know, it's hard to not to get a character that you know, an actress that young as the young version of the character, not being any way annoying. But she's not. She's great. I was yelling at the screen at her at one point though. Were you? When she's like, when he's oh, like, you oh, I'll take you home, and she's like, and and he and she's like, I can't go with you. You're a stranger. He goes, and he introduces himself, and it's like we're not strangers anymore. And I'm like, that's what all pedophile kidnappers say. Do not go with him. Do not go with him. He's still a stranger. You're gonna end up on the back of a milk carton. What are you doing? Yeah, um, but she makes it's the right decision in the end. It is. It turns right out, decision. yes. Um, but yes, he's great. Hamish Patel is great. Um, Nabam Rizwan is his brother. Is brilliant. Who's always yeah. good. He was in, you know, his fantastic. He was an informer on the BBC. So, yeah, this is a really, really... I mean, this is a bit of a... It's I think, very you know, special. What, it's a special, special show. Yeah. And a limited is, series, it's worth pointing out as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it is it is a special show. It's definitely worth seeing. And uh, weird, by the way, that it's on Stars Play, I mean... As an HBO I, show, yes. As an it HBO is show. I, I need mm. to do an article somewhere, and I need to... <laughs> why things t- go where? Why things go where? Because um, there's a couple of guys that follow us on Twitter that, that listen to the show that are always telling us, like, when things are on in different places. Like Yellowstone, by the way, is still not on... On the new series, as far as I'm aware, on our version of Peacock here, yeah. where it's in Peacock in America, I think, because someone tweeted about it. And mm. this, why it's on, why it's not on Sky as one of their big. It should be on Sky Atlantic, really, but it's, it's not. It's ended up they on didn't Stars get it, Play. But this is Stars I, Play, yeah, yeah. It's just a Stars Play, which you get here via Amazon Prime. It's, a, it's a, yeah. you know. And so, uh, some I, I someone, i.e., me, needs to find <laughs> out from all of the channels, all the people who acquire these shows, and all the people who schedule them, and all the people who go to the big screenings and buy. How the fuck? What is going on with all these things? Why is one thing end up? In one place, it's really complicated and weird. Like this, someone this week it, we tried to work out. Um, you know, the man who fell to earth—a big, um, I think it's Showtime or CBS production of you know a TV remake of that story, which looks really exciting. Excited cast. Fuck knows what channel it's going to be on in this country. I've absolutely no idea at this moment in time what channel that's going to be on. It's a big deal. Anyway, I digress. Station Eleven, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, Station Eleven. Then. <laughs> Stars play thirtieth January, twenty twenty-two. Finally, this week, we have The Sinner, which makes its long-awaited UK debut, having uh, aired in the States last year. Uh, and if you haven't been watching it on iTunes, which you have been able to do over here for <laughs> some while, then this does see Bill Pullman's Harry Ambrose, now retired, uh, drawn into another case when a young woman named Percy Muldoon winds up dead in a kind of insular fishing community on an island. So, Boydie, you and I were watching this on iTunes, weren't we? So 
we'd already we seen it. Yeah. But uh, where does this rank in the pantheon of Sinner series for you? Well, I haven't finished it yet. I know you finished it, didn't you? I have. You yeah. have not finished it. No, Interesting. I so clearly it. not that high because no, you no, didn't no, find no, it no. compelling. Uh, no, no, abs- absolutely not true. I found it incredibly compelling. I love the Sinner. So I, I think it's, it's a great. fantastic. It is great. I love um, the character of Harry Ambrose, Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman, one of the most soulful actors you know i mean he remember he 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 kind of single-handedly turned independence day into something a little bit above being a load of cheesy old shit you know I mean? he's like he's the president we all need right now um and he's so good as harry ambrose this kind of weird eccentric strange speaks in a strange way almost behaves in a strange socially odd guy who's ended up being this brilliant detective at the same time but keeps kind of making mistakes quite often in his investigations and sometimes jumping to the wrong conclusions he's got weird sexual thing yes. going on sexual fetish he enjoys a bit of bdsm <laughs> he enjoys a bit of bdsm which we're reminded about in this series it kind of, they kind of forgot about that a bit last in series yeah, three and then they, they bring it back it's back <laughs> it's back in series four um, he's kind of retired in this but he then and he goes to this island, as you say, in Maine, um, to kind of just recover and chill out. And of course, he gets yeah. embroiled within about ten minutes. In That's right. he, see, he sees something play out that he thinks is wrong, and he's worried about a woman. Then he goes and follows her, and she dies. And it's like, oh my god, he's it is a bit like Midsummer Murders that there are a lot of murders going on in his life, even when he's not yeah. actually officially in a, 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 a still a police detective. But they somehow it's so beautifully made and acted and written that you believe in it you go along with it and what is fascinating about the sinner is that every series has this kind of weird quasi-religious philosophical thing going on and in this there's like a weird cult thing you're not quite sure what's going on with the locals in this town that he goes to on this island the setting reminded me a bit of midnight mass you know one of the best shows of last year Mm. And it's just so. Even though I, the only reason I haven't finished it, by the way, so I've got about halfway through, is because I had so much other stuff that I needed to Fair watch, enough. and I knew we, this wasn't going to be on for a while because fucking Netflix <laughs> waits. You had time. They were waiting months, and now it's finally all. At least, at least it, it's all available in one go. Yes, and you can all. And I will be devouring at the weekend the yeah. final four episodes. But I think it's such a beautifully made um, show. I love it. I really love it. And and this, and I think so far from what I've seen, this more than lives up to previous series. Yeah, it's. I, I think each one of these seasons has had a really distinct identity to it. Like they've all felt very different. I think I said the first is the best because the first is so overpoweringly shocking. Like it really is from the first episode yep. to the last, and it gets more shocking as it goes along. That's a real. I mean, that's a difficult watch, but it's so good. But then the last one with Matt Bomer, like that was a really interesting one because Harry Ambrose goes in these like he like to say he gets too involved in his cases would be a vast understatement. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, it, it, but he is. He's an interesting quirky very flawed character but i enjoyed this you know he gets there you got alex kremelberg who plays percy percy muldoon this girl who 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 dies under sort of slightly mysterious circumstances and i enjoy the fact that she's almost like his jiminy cricket she's his conscience and appears to him regularly throughout the series you know so, so he has dialogues with her her spectre if you will during this series he's talking about and this goes you never know where this is going it goes in unexpected places as it always does it's rarely predictable the sinner is and it's always very very compelling i i i would put this i mean i i'm not going to rank the seasons of this quite frankly but i think they're all great because they're all very different they're all quite distinct Mm. uh and they all sit alongside each other but yeah i I mean and and it, it ends well so 
You no, definitely good. want to go back and watch the the, 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 rest the of solutions them. to the are always very satisfying. Oh yeah, really always really satisfying. kind of Byzantine. Yeah. You know, I never yeah. saw that coming. Uh, yeah, yeah it's very good stuff. But finally, finally, after airing in the states, Sinner season four comes to Netflix on the twenty sixth of January. So do watch that there. Um, also out this week, Billions returns for its sixth season, I want to say, on uh, yeah. Sky Atlantic. And now uh, that's on Monday the 24th at 9pm. Um, that's a show that I really should watch properly and I have never done. Um, You've which never is, watched which Billions. Is, it's really good fun. I've watched yeah. a couple of episodes. I've just never sat down and actually watched the whole show properly, which I feel is you know remiss of me. But um, where else we've got Snowpiercer, a show that I do watch ridiculously instead of Billions. I watched all of Snowpiercer. <laughs> Snowpiercer season three comes to Netflix on the 25th. Uh, love to see David Diggs back on the track and the train. Uh, Marvel's Hip Monkey <laughs> arrives on Star and Disney Plus on the 26th of January. I was fascinated to see what this is, so I did watch the first episode. Obviously, it's animated, so not really my thing, but it is quite literally about a hip monkey. Um, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. It's an odd one. Uh, this was on Hulu in the States, I think, last year, but uh, it's it's like there's a, an assassination which goes and an injured hitman ends up hiding with a tribe of snow oh monkeys in the sort of Japanese mountains. Uh, and then, I don't know, this monkey becomes like puts on a suit and starts taking up his old job while seeing his ghost. It's weird. It's a weird thing. <laughs> a very weird thing. Um, what else have we got? Boydy, boydy, boy. The woman um, in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Oh, is that arrives, this week? Yeah, there was on Friday on Netflix embargo, so we couldn't have reviewed it anyway. Ah, um, okay. So I, I, won't, I have that. watched. I have watched some of it, and I can't say because it's embargoed. Reviews are embargoed uh, till later next week after we after we air. But I, I, I'm very much here for the whole idea of a spoof of all of those things about women in windows and trains and girl, and the mystery girl and the missing girl and that and that and the other. Um, so yeah, it's a comedy, comedy, murderistry spoof thing. With Kristen See, Bell. I didn't know that was on because somehow it's it's not on our shared calendar, which which all of us <laughs> contribute to. So it seems inexplicable to me that it could be on and you knew about it and it's not in the calendar. So that's you know that's that's. I thought me. I genuinely thought I put it on. My only excuse is that um, it's too the, the title's like too long. And right. Okay. I knew we couldn't review it because it's embargoed. So there we are. That's in my defence. Um, other things come on Netflix. So In From the Cold, which is like a super soldier spy thriller thing, that drops on the 28th. I don't know that there's anyone uh, hugely big in that, but sort of an international spy thriller with super soldier twist definitely feels like something that I would enjoy. So yes. I'll definitely have a look at that and see what it's like. That could be the new Warrior Nun. Speaking of which, where is Warrior Nun? <laughs> I was expecting more Warrior I Nun. Mean, yeah. I need more of that. Um, and also All of Us Are Dead. It's also on Netflix, also on the 28th. And that's, uh, I think that's a South Korean show about zombies in a high school, uh, which is quite full on as well. Oh, God. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else? Is that broadly speaking it, I think? I think that's broadly speaking it. Yeah, I'm sure there's something I've forgotten, but I've got my, I don't know. So we had quite the bumper crop of things <laughs> oh. this week. Guys, what's your pick of the week? Ooh, oh, I mean, tough one. Yeah. For Beth, it's definitely the Gilded Age. Uh, yeah. It, <laughs> I'm going to say, I know, I'm going to politically say the after party because I know what James <laughs> is probably going to say. Oh, <laughs> so I'm going to give it the after party. Or do I? Tactical voting. I see what you're doing there. Yeah. I, I'm going to say, I think Station Eleven, but I think the responder is amazing as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I love the sinner, love yeah. the sinner, but Station yeah. Eleven is my pick as well for this yeah, week. Station, Station Eleven, is... I would say, is the essential view. Um, right, 
Well, I guess that's it for this rather jam-packed show. Uh, if you would like to celebrate the fact that I didn't talk about The Expanse this, w- this week, then please do feel free to leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us, as ever, on social media at James C. Dyer, at Beth K. Webb, and at Boyd Hilton. Now, we will be back in your ears next Monday with more goodies, including, I suspect, sex tape drummer Pam and Tommy. Also, Jack Reacher's triumphant debut on Prime Video. Reacher said nothing, but the same cannot be said of us. Uh, we'll have Mackenzie Davis on the show to talk talk about Station Eleven, give us a handy guide to surviving the apocalypse, and also Tiffany Haddish will be on to talk us through her kind of process for catching killers uh, in the after party. So uh, do tune in next week to hear from both of them. Until then, pilot out. <laughs>